Welcome to Couch Buddies. I'm Kia. I'm Michelle. And uh, it's time for another OTP. Woohoo! So, um, uh, once again, we're each doing separate ones. Mm -hmm. Um, I have my couple, you have yours. Yes. I know, I think yours is going to be a little bit shorter than mine. Probably. So I'm wondering if we want to do yours first, but at the same time, I have also been awake since 5.30 this morning. <laughs> you, you, I think you should go first because if mine is shorter, then I can wrap it up and it'll be fine. <laughs> okay. Because mine is complicated and it's, it's so yeah, you go first. Okay. Mine, and I, I apologize to our listeners right now. I have had a very long week and uh, we're recording on a Saturday and I got up and went into work this morning very early. And so if my brain is not firing on all cylinders, I apologize. I may not be describing this OTP as eloquently as I normally might. (laughs) So apologies for that. You'll get the gist of what I'm saying. Um, But my couple this week, and I'm giving uh, a spoiler warning because um, my couple is from uh, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, which is a Netflix original film at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, and so if, you, if you've been waiting to watch the movie and you haven't yet, then just ignore me, skip to Michelle's part, <laughs> and, uh, and go watch the movie and come back to this. Because I'm going to be talking about... Uh, Juliet Ashton and Dossie Adams from Guernsey Literary Potato Pie Society. And I'm going to be discussing them from both the book and the movie a little bit more so from the book because the, uh, the, the book, I say the book gives more details, but it's, it's just the book gives different details mm-hmm. because it's, um, as far as adaptations go, uh, the movie, the movie is a good adaptation. Um, the thing is, the book is what is known as an epistolary novel, which means the entire book is told in the form of letters between characters, the occasional telegram, um, stuff like that. But it is all it's all letters, mm-hmm. and and if you've seen the movie, then you know that that's how Juliet and Dossie, like they first kind of meet for lack of a better way of term. He, um, yeah, the meet cute is letters. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, the sort of like the, the way that he, like he, he goes about sending her a letter is that, and this is all set during, uh, during world war two, um, the, the Island of Guernsey, which is in the English channel. Um, and during, during the, during, uh, because the Nazis occupied Guernsey, they, uh, the, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Popeye Society was formed out of a necessity to hide the fact that, that these, that this group of people had, um, had, had essentially like they had kept a pig mm-hmm. when, when all of like livestock and produce and everything had to be turned over to the Nazis. They had like kept a pig sequestered. <laughs> And so they butchered it. They had they had a feast during a time of starvation, and and so the Nazis catch them. What are you out doing? And oh, we were having a book club meeting, and like the clubs formed on the spot. And so because of that, they had to actually form a book club. Mm-hmm. And Dossie finds a book 
with um, with Juliet's name and address in it. It's like it's a secondhand book that she had sold. And so now that the war is over and they have, you know, like some like supplies and everything are coming back into Guernsey. Like the post is running again, telegram wires and like have and telephone uh, like are working again. He sends a letter to this address saying, you know, I, I have your book uh, by, like I have this book by Charles Lamb, which was yours. Could you um, give me the name of a bookshop in London where I might find more works either by him or about Charles Lamb. Yeah. Give me your recs. <laughs> yeah, essentially. And so that's, that's how it starts. And so like they, they begin and, and she, and, you know, so she just starts asking questions of like, okay, you know, why, why was, why did a pig have to be kept secret? And, you know, and all this and start asking questions and, and they begin, um, they begin this correspondence in the movie. Like there are two letters from him and then she's off. And she's like, I'm going to Guernsey right now. And in, in the book, it's, it's a little bit different because, um, the, the, the movie, it, it does, the movie does the Hollywood thing of making things a little bit more dramatic, a little more streamlined. Um, a couple, like a few, like, differences between the book and the movie that I just want to like point out um so that the like the things so that basically I don't have to go into like a really long explanation of certain points um things to know in the book there are a lot more members of the society than just like the handful that are in the movie um the little girl Kit lives with Amelia not Dossie um, she never calls him daddy, nothing like that. She calls all the members of the society by their names. Um, uh, the character of Mark was in the book. He's a publisher. He's not a diplomat. He's a publisher. And initially when he's introduced into the story, Juliet's friend and publisher, Sydney thinks that Mark is trying to poach Juliet <laughs> is kind of how, how it comes about. Um, before Juliet go like in the movie, Juliet basically just like a spur of the moment decision decides like I am going to Guernsey. Yeah. In the book, she's all like she broaches the subject with Dossie of like I like I want to write this article, maybe a book about the occupation. You know, could like would you maybe like introduce me to some of you know introduce quote yeah. unquote me to some of the members of your society? And so he's like he gives Amelia and Isola and various other people. So like he gives her, gives them her address and they start, they send her letters. And, and so they, they've already all known each other for a while before she shows up. And when Juliet shows up in Guernsey in the book, like basically most of the society is there waiting at the dock for her. And, um, and like, Isola, like she spends, um, like in the, in the movie, you have Elizabeth's cottage, which is just kind of left completely like unattended in the book, Isola and Dossie spend like several days getting the cottage habitable again so that Juliet can stay in the cottage while, like while she's there, Sydney actually goes to Guernsey several times 
in the book, which is great. And I love the friendship between Sydney and Juliet is one of my absolute favorite things about the story, both the movie and the book. I, I was going to say, I love it in the movie. I have seen this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there are a few characters who's, who we never really get letters from them in the book, but they're important characters nonetheless. It's Juliet is either writing about them or writing to them. One one character you will hear me mention is a woman named Sophie. Sophie is Sydney's sister. And so Juliet went to school with her. That's how she knows Sydney. And and that's how and so Sophie is her you know, Sophie is Juliet's best friend. There's another woman named Susan who works for Sydney. And essentially Susan is the one who like is taking Juliet on the book tour. Um and instead of Sydney. And there's a woman named Remy. And in the movie, uh, like the character of Elizabeth, who was essentially the founder of of the of the society, Elizabeth, um, um, you know, you find out like during the story that you find in, in the movie and in the book, you find out that Elizabeth was arrested and sent to the continent. Nobody really knows like many of the details and like now that the war is over, they're just still waiting for her to come home and, you know, raise her daughter. And in the, um, in the movie, like it's Mark who like, who finds out the details and, and Juliet tells everybody or in the movie, that's what happens in the book. A woman named Remy Girard writes a letter just kind of addressed to the Guernsey literary society because she was in Ravensbrook with Elizabeth. And so Remy like gives all the details of like how Elizabeth was, Elizabeth was like the thing that got her through Ravensbrook and that, you know, like they used to daydream about, you know, stealing a boat and crossing the channel and, and going to live and, you know, like they would live together in her cottage in Guernsey with, you know, with Kit and all of this. And, and so, like, now that the war's over, Remy is, you know, kind of convalescing. She sends this letter to, like, to let them know what had happened to Elizabeth. And Dossie and Amelia are basically like, we, we have to go meet this woman. And so they go, they go over to France to meet her. And, and she you know, is a woman who was in a concentration camp. She is just so inexorably broken and Dossie feels the need. He's like, we, we have to bring her to Guernsey. Like, like Dossie just has this feeling of she's not going to get better. Like we have to bring her with us and like, we will help her get better. Like, cause he feels that they owe, they, they owe it to Elizabeth to take care of Remy. Remy becomes part of sort of a love quadrangle <laughs> through no fault of her own. <laughs> it just happens. It's time. just, it just happens. And so that's, um, and oh, just other things that like one in the book, once Juliet gets to Guernsey, she doesn't leave again. <laughs> it's like, once she's there, she's there to stay. Just some, like some notes really quickly that I had about, um, about the movie. You know me, I'm not a huge fan of love triangles. This one, I don't mind it as much because 
Glenn Powell is charming as fuck. He really is. I like we saw him on Scream Queens and we thought there was that he was the biggest idiot on the planet. And then Chad Radwell, just, oh my god. But then he has just grown. He was on uh what is Set it, it Up? Set it up, Hidden Figures. Right? He I plays, forgot about Hidden Figures. Yeah, he plays uh Alan, Alan Shepard, I think. That sounds right. In Hidden Figures. And, and he just like he, as an actor, he has gotten to do some really fun jobs. After, like, the first thing I've ever seen him in, like, after, like, Scream Queens being that that first thing. Yeah. I have to say, like, he is, like, weirdly suited to period movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was good at yeah. this. Yeah. Like, he's, in so, yeah. he's so good in Guernsey. Um, and, and, then, and, and figures, once again. It's another and, period. And yeah. And, and I was also realizing that, um, like, when I was watching this movie again for, like, the fifth time, I'm realizing that I have only, with the exception of one thing... All of the stuff I have ever seen Lily James in, she it's a period piece. <laughs> yeah. She, does, she largely does period pieces. Because, yeah. like, Downton Abbey, mm-hmm. this, Cinderella, which isn't technically a period piece, would, but it's... It's a period piece. It's, it's close enough. I would call um, it that. And, then, and she's she's Natasha Rostova in War and Peace. Oh, yeah. That's right. The only thing I have ever seen her in that is even, like, remotely, like, modern is Secret Diary of a Call Girl. <laughs> I forgot she was in that. Yeah. Uh, also, it cannot be underestimated how much I love Mikhail Huseman. Oh, he's amazing. This, um, I I started watching The Haunting of Hill House, and I just immediately fell in love with him, and then realized, wait, I was already in love with him from watching, like, Treme on HBO. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get, we definitely get more in the, in the movie. There's a whole lot more of, of Juliet and Mark. Like, we see them spending more time together. Um... The times in the movie that we really see Juliet and Dossie together, it's more like there's always something being uncovered. That there's really only like one scene where they're just there, just the two of them. And that's like the scene in the pub, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. It's it's set up so that Mark and Dossie are like they're a complete 180 from each other. Like they could not be more different. Mark is, you know, elite, upper crust, New York, socialite kind mm-hmm. of dude. And, uh, you know, like, always wearing tuxedos, like, buying, like, flowers, like, they're all, like, they're gonna die tomorrow. And, and Dossie is, you know, a simple pig farmer. And in the movie, you see, like, Juliet and Mark are, like, they're, they're having a great time. He's always, you know, he's taking her out to all these places, and, like, they're always, like, doing something and and it's always something like big and and showy it, but like once you know once she gets to to Guernsey like with Dossie like there's there's nothing to do there but just be with people and in the book Juliet and Mark are never ever engaged okay they like a ring never touches her finger when, because because it's just the nature of the book, we only ever, like, there's a few, like, telegrams from, there's a few telegrams and a few letters, like, a couple of notes from Mark, but, but for the most part, everything you learn about Mark is from, like, Sydney and Susan's point of view, or, like, when uh, Juliet is writing to Sophie. So is he not, like, so you know from the beginning, he's probably not gonna, he's not really a believable love interest. Well, it's... Not, not, not believable, yeah. that's the wrong word. He's not going, like... An actual rival to Dozzy. 
Well, it's it's whereas more, in the movie they set it up where you can see why she'd choose him, and and yeah, why she you can in, see the yeah in owners. the in the book it's more that that everybody just kind of believes that Mark is kind of a passing fad. And it's because something that happens, something that's mentioned in the book that never comes up in the movie is that during the war, Juliet was actually engaged to, to, uh, to a Naval officer or not officer, whatever. Um, she was, she was engaged to a man in the Navy. They had been together for like, maybe five months they like they because this all comes up when Juliet is being interviewed by like a almost like tabloidish kind of journalist and and he brings up he's like so you know like you you were it's like you like there's there's record of you know you like you like having an appointment at the register, like to get married, you had like a, a reception dinner booked and, you know, and all of these things. And, uh, you know, for, for this day, like, and then just never happened. Obviously you left this man at the altar. Like what was the problem? And, you know, Julia just like completely goes off on him because the guy that she was engaged to, like they broke off their engagement and then he, ends up dying in the war. And so she's content to just let the world think the worst of her instead of him. And you find out that they were only together four months. They like, it was a whirlwind romance. Literally they broke it off the day before the wedding, because as he, like he was moving in her stuff or he was moving in his stuff into her apartment. And, and she was like, oh, I've got some business to take care of. And like, I have to meet with Sydney and all these things. And like, when she comes back home, he has boxed up all of her books to make room for like his sports trophies. Bye. And, <laughs> and she just loses it. Bye, Felicia. That is, yeah. that is a no go. And so like, they, they start fighting <laughs> and then all of a sudden realize what the hell have we even talked about for the last four months? Yeah. It's fair. Yeah. And so it was literally just like they got it. Like they escaped by the skin of their teeth. And, and then, like I said, he, you know, he goes off and and dies in the war. And I was to say in the, also in the book, Mark is a little more assertive. Isn't the word I'm looking for. He's, he's very in the movie. He's, he comes across as kind of a won't take no for an answer Mm -hmm. kind of guy. But you could reason with him. Mm-hmm. In the book, not so much. He's he's incredibly pig-headed. It sounds like the movie made him more likable. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So that he um, could be, once again, a legitimate, like, it, should she be with this guy yeah. kind of moment. In the book, she and Mark have, like, in the movie, he says, when he proposes to her, he says, it's like, I know it's only been six months, but it's been a happy six months and blah, blah, blah. In the book... It's been two. <laughs> to be fair, 1940s people were getting married like crazy. Yes. But yes. They were. For us, we're like, no, thank you. No, no, yeah. thank you. I, I I was with my husband almost two years before he proposed. <laughs> right. I mean, um, I would have married him within six months, but we had, we had to wait for college. and then, but, Yeah. But yeah. Um, 
But yeah, like I It's a good thing to like, and I, I know like you know, my my couple is Juliet and Dossie, and I'm talking a lot about Juliet and Mark, but it's lit but it's you it, there it just you have to understand like the difference of like what she ends up it comes but, down to a choice of in the movie. It comes down to a choice of what kind of life she wants to live. As much as she cares about and right. loves Dolly, it does come to the what kind of life does she? Yeah, have. and in the uh, like a, a major theme of the movie is that Juliet is looking for home. Yeah, yeah. and and like and you and Mark offers that to her, and you know and and he like he you know he even hints at it. He's like, well, you know, you're looking for a new place. Like maybe we should try Central Park, or you know, like you know, yeah. And and she's just like, oh, oh, oh my! And then you know he proposes like the next day, and. And whereas, like, once she gets to Guernsey, it's like, she finally finds the place. She fits. Yeah, where she fits. Like, she she finds home mm-hmm. on Guernsey. And, it's like, but she has somebody else who wants to make home something different for her. Yeah. You know, in, in the book, that's not so much the case. Okay, I'm trying to think here. Just, I'm going to read, like, some of the things about, um, about Mark, like, from the book. Uh, this Juliet writing to uh, to Sophie says, um, you know, Markham V. Reynolds stepped forward. He's dazzling. Honestly, Sophie, I've never seen anything like him. Tan with blazing blue eyes, ravishing leather shoes, elegant wool suit, blinding white handkerchief and breast pocket. Uh, like he's, he's quite impressive and he's used to ordering people about though. He does it so easily. They don't notice. He's got that way of believing his opinion is the truth, but he's not disagreeable about it. He's too, he's too sure he's right to bother being disagreeable. (laughs) And, um, in another letter, Juliet says, Mark Reynolds has been what your says to Sophie, Mark Reynolds has been what your aunt Lydia would have called persistent in his attentions for the last three weeks. Um, but I've been having a wonderful time. Uh, Mark gads about every night. If we're not going to a party, and we usually are, we're off to the cinema or the theater or the nightclub or a gin house. It's very exciting. Um, and talks about how Mark just seems to be like completely untouched by the war. And, um, and you know, she says, you know, like she, like she would feel ashamed that like if if she had gone through the war and like it didn't touch her in some ways like and so she feels a little bit guilty about being with Mark like for this reason but you know she kind of justifies it and is like but you know it's okay to enjoy myself a little mm-hmm. she you know she continues to say like I feel addled around Mark which might be love but might not it certainly isn't restful um, it's like I'm rather dreading this evening for instance another dinner party very brilliant with men leaning across the table to make a point and women gesturing with cigarette holders oh dear I just want to nuzzle into my sofa but I have to get up and put on an evening dress <laughs> all have been there yes and here here's a little bit of, uh, of, of an exchange between Mark and Juliet he's trying to like he just wants to see her and she's trying to tell him like I I have things I need to do. And he's like, well, okay, we'll make it work. Like I just don't want to see you. He tells her, um, he says, dear Juliet, you're being elusive, and I don't like it. I don't want to see the play with someone else. I want to go with you. In fact, I don't give a damn about the play. I'm only trying to route you out of your apartment. Dinner, tea, cocktails, boating, dancing. You choose, and I'll obey. I'm rarely so docile. Don't throw away this opportunity to improve my character. (laughs) To which she replies, Mark, 
It's like, do you want to come to the British Museum with me? I've got an appointment in the reading room at two o'clock. We can go look at the mummies afterwards. To hell with the reading room and the mummies. Come have lunch with me. You consider that docile? To hell with docile. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, this is just sort of how they're, um, how every, you know, kind of like how things go between them. And, and this is in a letter, this is kind of what I'm talking about of, of how what you get of Mark is from like from other people's point of view and Sydney's uh, coworker, Susan writes to him. Sydney has like gone off to Australia for something and ended up breaking his leg. And so he's just like convalescing in Australia. Um, and so, so Susan, uh, Susan writes to him and says, if you need any further indictment to buy an airplane ticket, I can tell you that I saw Juliet and Mark Reynolds looking very cozy the other night. Their table was behind a velvet cordon, but from my seat in the slums, I could spy all the telltale signs of romance. His little, his murmuring little nothings into her ear, her hand lingering in his beside the cocktail glasses. I consider it my duty as your devoted employee to break it up. So I elbowed my way past the cordon to say hello to Juliet. Like, she seemed delighted and invited me to join, but it was very apparent from Mark's smile that he didn't want company, so I retreated. <laughs> He's not a man to cross, that one, with his thin smile, no matter how beautiful his ties are, and it would break my mom's heart if my lifeless body was found bobbing in the Thames. <laughs> it's like, in other words, get a wheelchair, get a crutch, get a donkey to tote you home, but come home now. Because, <laughs> like, everybody's just like, it is dire stakes. <laughs> she's she's being she's being lured come home and yes. stop it and and we get to like you said after only knowing each other for two months mark proposes like we don't get like the actual proposal because again this is all in letters huh? it all in letters and and so we get like him asking her out you know asking her out for the evening and then she writes a note to him telling him you know dear mark i didn't refuse you you know i said i wanted to think about it you were so busy ranting about sydney and guernsey that perhaps you didn't notice i only said i wanted time i've known you two months it's not long enough for me to be certain that we should spend the rest of our lives together even if you are I once made a terrible mistake and almost married a man I hardly knew. And at least in that case, the war was an extenuating circumstance. I won't be such a fool again. Think of it. I've never even seen your home. I don't know where it is, really. New York, but what street? What does it look like? Do you, uh, what color are your walls, your sofa? Do you arrange your books alphabetically? Are your drawers tidy or messy? Do you hum? If so, what? And he just kind of goes on asking these kind of questions. Just, I don't know you well enough to marry you. I have one other piece of news that may interest you. Sydney is not your rival. I am not now, nor have I ever been in love with Sydney, nor he with me. Nor will I ever marry him. Is that decisive enough for you? It's like, are you absolutely certain you wouldn't rather be married to someone more tractable than I? <laughs> and, um... And then I love, I love, like, she does the thing that, like, all women would do. Immediately after that, she writes a letter to Sophie and says, I want you to tell me whether or not I should marry Mark Reynolds. <laughs> um, and, yeah, like, telling him, like, he proposed with a diamond as big as a pigeon egg. Um, it's like, he's absolutely furious because I didn't give him an unequivocal yes. I tried to explain that I hadn't known him long enough and I needed time, but he wouldn't listen to me. He began shouting about Sydney and godforsaken islands and women who care more about a passel of strangers than men who are right in front of them. That's Guernsey and my new friends there, for the record. 
I kept trying to explain, and he kept shouting until I began to cry from frustration. Then he felt remorseful, which was so unlike him and endearing that I almost changed my mind and said yes. But then I imagined a lifetime of having to cry to get him to be kind, and I went back to no again. Good choice. Yes. <laughs> we argued, and he lectured, and I wept a bit more because I was so exhausted. Eventually, he called his chauffeur to take me home. Like, he put me in the back seat, and he leaned in to kiss me and said, You're an idiot, Juliet. <laughs> And so, you know, it's, it's after this, um, you know, she tells him, it's like, just please, for the love of God, give me some time to think. And like, he gives her like 15 days and then he's like, okay, where's my answer? I mean, that's, the two weeks is a legitimate, that's yeah. fair. Um, I, I had that, I know something that happened to her in real life and, and she made yeah. him wait a month and that is, that yeah. was not cool. He, he tells her, um... He's like, you asked me to give you time, and I have. You asked me not to mention marriage, and I haven't. But now you tell me that you're off to bloody Guernsey for what? A week? A month? Forever? Do you think I'm going to sit back and let you go? You're being ridiculous. Any halfwit can see that you're just trying to run away, but what nobody can understand is why. We're right together. You make me happy. You never bore me. You're interested in all the things I'm interested in. And I hope I'm not deluded when I say I think the same is true for you. We belong together. I know you loathe it when I tell you I know what's best for you, but in this case, I do. For God's sake, forget that miserable island and marry me. I'll take you there on our honeymoon, if I must. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah, see, no. The only time in the movie that Mark is is not helpful, I will say, mm -hmm. like, he's not a, a generally good guy, is the moment she breaks up with him. And he has a legitimate yes, right to have, and I have to say, a moment the, of anger. In the movie, like, that is one of the best breakup scenes I have ever seen in a movie. Well, and he gets angry, but he comes back, yes. too. And, like, I appreciate that yes. so much. Like, the movie, I, I remember being really impressed by the movie when I yes. watched it, because that's not the way that breakup scenes oh, normally I know. go in movies. Yeah, in and they didn't make me hate him, ever, I know. in the movie. Whereas the book, I'm already like, uh-uh. Yeah, well, like, and she, she writes a note back to him and says, Dear Mark, you're probably right, but even so, I'm going to Guernsey tomorrow, and you can't stop me. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. It's like, I'm sorry I can't give you the answer you want. And, and so, like, you know, during this, she, you know, during all this stuff going on with Mark, like, she's still writing, you know, to Dossie and to, to Isola and Amelia and everybody. Um, and, and the thing about, the thing about Dossie in the book, he reminds me very, very much of Almanzo Wilder. Okay. He doesn't say a lot. And... And so it, you really have to kind of like read between the lines of the things that he's saying in the book, because everything that he says, like he has lengthy letters, but it's usually when, you know, when he's talking about the occupation or like he's answering a question she wants to know, or, or he's talking about Kit for like, he doesn't like go on about himself really. Um, you know, he's just very kind of laconic in that way. Like he, it, like, he's just a very quiet you know, like very, like all just like very, like silent man for the most part, and um, and you know, during all that, you know, he like they're they're still corresponding back and forth. They're they're trying to, um, uh, they're like basically like making arrangements, like you know, for for her to, uh, like for her to come to Guernsey and just sort of like the little things that you get. You know, he he's writing a letter, kind of like about the society and and like about Kit. And, 
and just there will just the thing about Dossie is that there will just be like a little like one little line that just kind of makes you go hmm of like feelings perhaps <laughs> uh, because during during a letter he says you know, perhaps I've written over long but I wanted you to know just how much your books have given me to think about and the pleasure that I find in them good line yeah um, which and like the this will tell you a little bit about Dossie. Isola writes a letter to Juliet. And if you see, like, if you see the movie, you know, kind of like what, like who Isola is. She's played by the amazing Catherine Parkinson. And I just, mwah, she's great. She's just a, not like busybody is the wrong word. Just very, I can't think of the word, like help me out. Just like very like chatty kind of. Yeah. She's, a, she's a bit not gossip, but at the same time she like, yeah, she, chatty is the best word. Yeah. She and wants to make sure everyone is comfortable, and and but she also wants to find out everything yeah. about everyone, and yeah, it's just she loves she loves to know things, yeah, about exactly. other people, yeah. yeah. And so, so in in a letter to Juliet, Isolus says, "Now that we are corresponding friends, I want to ask you some questions. They are highly personal." Dossie said that it would not be polite, but I say that that's a difference twixt men and women, not polite and rude. Dossie's never asked me a personal question in 15 years. I'd take it kindly if he would, but Dossie's got quiet ways. I don't expect to change him, nor myself either. <laughs> that's pretty, yeah, that's her. Right yeah, there. that's Isola, and and that's kind and of, that's him, yeah. and that's that's him. A thing that I that I meant to mention earlier and I forgot about is um, it's before she ever meets Mark, like before she's ever gotten a letter from Dossie, Juliet is writing to her friend Sophie and 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 she's saying, um, she says, I swear, Sophie, I think there's something wrong with me. Every man I meet is intolerable. Perhaps I should set my sights lower. Like, um, I can't even blame it on the war. I was never any good at men, was I? What's the matter with me? Am I too particular? I don't want to be married just to be married. I can't think of anything lonelier than spending the rest of my life with someone I can't talk to, or worse, someone I can't be silent with. And, and like, ultimately, like, that's the thing that she finds in Dossie that, that I just, I love so much. Um, Sorry, I'm scrolling through my notes and I just saw another line about Mark. Because in okay, in the movie, there's the whole thing about um, her, like, Juliet's landlady is just like, for the love of God, Mr. Reynolds, you have to stop with the flowers. Because, like, Juliet is basically living in a florist shop with all the flowers that he... That, that is, like, his ploy. Like, that is how he introduces himself to her. Is like, he's, like, somehow gotten a hold of, like, her schedule of where she's going to be on her book tour. And and so he sends flowers to, like, her hotel and her train. And that is called a stalker. And, like, um, and could be problematic. And, um, and at one point, and, like, it's just, like, he, he all he does, like, he sends his card with it. And, like, you know, there's really, like, no information and... And, you know, she asks Sydney to look him up. But, like, this goes on for a while of, of him just sending flowers to places where she's going to be. Just basically, like, biding the time until, like, they actually, get, like, have some kind of introduction. And, um, and at one point, Juliet says to Sophie, he's like, that man has sent me another bale of orchids. I'm getting a nervous twitch waiting for him to come out of hiding and make himself known. <laughs> like, just so many flowers. Um, uh, uh, what was it? Um, oh, like in the, um, another thing to mention is that when Juliet goes to Guernsey, like she has already, like 
the idea of her writing a book about the occupation. Everybody already knows about it. Everybody's cool with it. That's um, good. <laughs> yes. And so, um, like, she tells Dossie, you know, I would like to write a book um, on a subject I could live happily with for several years. You know, do you think your literary society would be mind being included in such a story? Um, but if you'd rather not, please don't worry. I, I will understand either way and either, but, and either way, I would like to hear from you again. Um, and so that, that's when sort of like Dossie kind of makes like introductions via letter, like for the other members. And Amelia says, dear Miss Ashton, uh, Dossie Adams has just been to call on me. I've never seen him as pleased with anything as he was with your gift and letter. Oh, I know. Um, and Oh, uh, somebody from the island comes to London for something and delivers um, delivers a letter, like, from Dossie and also, like, some flowers with it. And, and so keep in mind, Mark has been sending her all kinds of flowers for all kinds of reasons. Mm-hmm. And, and here, like, somebody, like, hand delivers, like, some flowers, like, that Dossie sent from, the, from Guernsey. And, and she says, you know, dear Mr. Adams, how did you know that I like white lilacs above all flowers? Like I always, or I always have, and now they are here pluming out over my desk. They are beautiful and I love having them. The look, the delicious scent and the surprise of them. Oh, I know. Yeah. She had a favorite. Yeah. <laughs> like Mark was, Mark never had a chance. I know. Um, in the movie you get, he has a slight chance in the movie. Yeah. In the movie. Here, he not has, so much. Yeah. Yeah. Not so much. Um, uh, once, like once Julia gets to the island, um, in the movie, there's the woman named like Charlotte Stimple who who Juliet kind of stays with. Yeah, in she the has book, like, the boarding house. Yeah, who has the boarding house. In the book, she's called Adelaide Addison, and she's just as much of a busybody. I was gonna say bitch, but yeah, that works too. <laughs> well, I meant more like when she breaks into the room and goes through the girls' yeah. stuff. And- it's yeah, basically that, but like just being told like through letters and. You know, in in the movie, all like we really get is that that Elizabeth left Kit with Dossie and then was like immediately arrested, and so Dossie, like he he raises Kit for that, like he's raising Kit for that reason because Elizabeth left her with him. Um, in the book, it's like it's a little bit different. Kit uh, Kit was left with Amelia instead. She stays with Amelia most of the time, but she just kind of like hops around like to various members of the society and they all kind of, you know, she's the child of the, yeah, she's the child of the society. Well, once like everybody on the Island starts writing to do, not everybody, but once people on the Island start writing to Juliet, um, the Charlotte Stimple character, Adelaide Anderson, Addison, um, being the, like the kind of like, tattletale of a woman that yeah. she is that finds scandal in everything. The Rachel Lind of the... Yes! <laughs> if you're gonna... Yes. If you're gonna compare it to what my favorite books. <laughs> yes, basically. Um, she writes to Juliet and and is basically like um, just like just, just tattling. Yeah. And um, and tells her, like, herewith are the sorry facts. In April of 1942, the unwed... Elizabeth McKenna gave birth to a baby girl in her own cottage. Evan Ramsey and Isla Privy were present at the birthing. He to hold the mother's hand and she to keep the fire going. Amelia Maudry and Dossie Adams, an unmarried man for shame, did the actual work of delivering the child before the doctor could arrive. The putative father, absent. In fact, he had left the island in a short time or a short time before. 
ordered to duty on the continent. So they said. The case is perfectly clear. With the evidence of their illicit connection was irrefutable. Captain Hellman abandoned his mistress and just le and left her to her just desserts. It's so, like, to me, it puts a whole different spin on it. Like, the fact that... That not just Amelia, but that Isola and Eben and Dossie were there, like for the mm -hmm. like for Kit's birth, like it, like it's just puts into like yeah. perspective how important Elizabeth and by extension her child was to everybody. It strengthens the connection. Yes, it does. And um, once Juliet gets to Guernsey, um, it's not long after that that they get the letter from Remy. And and Dossie and Amelia, um, Dossie and Amelia decide to go to France to to see her in person, and and try to like convince her to like to come like to come to Guernsey, and and so during that time because <laughs> for what it, like I don't remember like the exact reason, but it's just kind of decided that Kit is going to stay with Juliet, and so. You know, so, like, so she does, and they just, like, Juliet just falls completely in love with Kit, mm -hmm. and just, just absolutely, like, loves and adores her. Um, Kit's a little kind of, eh, I'm not sure, at the very beginning, but, but soon enough is just, like, she loves Juliet, too. Um, Oh, I I forgot to mention one thing. One when Juliet actually gets to to the island, um, after she's been there for like twelve hours or so, and it's just been like a whirlwind kind of day, <laughs> she sits down and she writes a letter to Sydney, and you know, just telling him, um, just telling him like about you know her first twelve hours on Guernsey, and um, and I've just kind of like picked out the the important bits where she's telling Sydney about Dossie. Uh, said, Dossie held out his hands. He presented me with a bouquet of carnations. Dossie is dark and wiry, and his face has a quiet, watchful look about it until he smiles. Saving a certain sister of yours, he has the sweetest smile I've ever seen. Like everyone here, he's too thin, though you can tell he was more substantial once. His hair is going gray, and he has deep-set brown eyes, so dark they look black. The lines around his eyes make him seem to be starting to smile, even when he's not. Dossie was seen to my bags and generally making, self, making himself useful. And I began to see that this is what he does and that everyone depends upon him to do it. Like I said, rereading the book, like he reminded me so much of Almonte Wilder. Like yeah. he really, really did. Um, um, oh, <laughs> apparently like um, what she also writes a letter to Sophie and, and says, you know, yes, I'm like, I'm on the island. Mark did his best to stop me, but I resisted him mulishly right to the bitter end. Because <laughs> um, I've always considered Dogginess one of my least appealing characteristics, but it was valuable last week. Um, it's like, maybe I'm a complete idiot, though. Like, I know of three women who are mad for him, and he'll be snapped up in a trice, and I will spend my declining years in a grimy bed sit with my teeth falling out. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just that it's like it's like she's thinking about it, but maybe as a like oh well you know as a last resort kind of thing. Um, she she keeps writing letters you know to Sydney about her time on the island and saying that you know Dossie is taking her around the island and showing her things and that you know he takes me to see wonders like the tiny church and then he stands back and lets me enjoy them as long as I want. He's the most unhurrying person I've ever met. Yeah, very Alonzo. I see what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. And um 
And then we don't, this is like a problem that I have. Like we don't always get like the reply to a certain letter. Mm -hmm. And so, so like we have Juliet's letter, like Juliet has a letter to Sydney where, you know, she says that about him being the most unhurrying person she's ever met. And then it jumps forward a few days and we don't have Sydney's reply to her, but we have her next letter to Sydney. And she says, I would like to point out that contrary to certain insinuating remarks in your last, Mr. Dossie Adams makes no appearance in this letter. <laughs> it's like, I haven't seen uh, Mr. Dossie Adams since Friday afternoon when he came to pick up Kit. Um, and how, and talking about how Dossie found her and Kit playing just like this ridiculous game and then Kit made him join in and like the three of them had fun together. But he makes no appearance in this letter whatsoever. Yes, but he makes no <laughs> appearance. Um, and, uh, and this is where, um, Remy's letter comes and, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna try to, um, they're gonna try to convince her to come back. Uh, Amelia sends, sends Juliet a letter from France that Dossie has been, that he's been like surprisingly, um, forceful is not the word I'm looking for, but like surprisingly adamant of like trying to convince Remy to come back. And like, it's to a point that, you know, Amelia is like, you know, like sometimes I wonder where our old shy Dossie has gone. Um, and, um, and then we get to, to like one of, one of my favorite things, Sydney comes to Guernsey and while he's there and he's there for quite a while. And funnily enough, he ends up staying with Isola, which I'm like, I need that buddy comedy right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sydney comes to the island and he writes a letter to his sister, Sophie, and says, I am at last on Guernsey with Juliet and I'm ready to tell you three or four of the dozen things you asked me to find out. Now about Dossie Adams, I have inspected him as per instructions and liked what I saw. He is quiet, capable, trustworthy. Oh Lord, I've made him sound like a dog. Um, but he has the sense, but he has a sense of humor. In short, he is completely unlike any of Juliet's other swains. Praise indeed. He didn't say much at our first meeting, but let him walk into a room and everyone in it seems to breathe, breathe a little sigh of relief. Juliet seemed nervous around him. His silence is daunting, and she made a dreadful mess of tea when he came by for Kit yesterday. <laughs> um, as for him, he watches her with dark, steady eyes until she looks at him and then he glances away. One thing I can say unequivocally, he is worth dozens of Mark Reynolds's. He wants, he wants Juliet because she's pretty and intellectual at the same time, and he thinks they'll make an impressive couple. If she marries him, she'll spend the rest of her life being shown to people at theaters and clubs and weekends, and she'll never write another book, and it will be the end of our Juliet. Which, he has a point. Um, so th this girl, like, she's been on the island for probably about a month. And um, Juliet tells Sophie, you know, Mark, Mark doesn't write. He telephones. <laughs> Um, he rang me up last week, um, and it was one of those terrible connections that forces to, uh, to constantly bellow what, but I managed to get the gist of the conversation that I should come home and marry him. I politely disagreed. <laughs> he, oh, um, Remy, Remy is coming to, Remy is going to come to, to Guernsey. And so she's going to, Remy is going to stay with Amelia. And so Kit is once again going to stay with Juliet just for however long. Then we get we get the kind of aha moment where Juliet finally realizes how she feels about Dossie. And and we get a little bit of this moment in the movie, 
because it's when like Mark just suddenly appears mm-hmm. um, and just like cock blocks the whole thing. But the way that it happens in the book, it like it, I like, I don't know. Like I just, I feel it on a deeper level. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, McKeel and, and, and Lily James, they, they are able to convey a whole lot, but because most of the time that they spend in the movie is like him telling her about the occupation. Like they're the, the little moments that they have where it's just the two of them sharing a look or a conversation. It's so kind of truncated and it's so brief. Like you don't have time to kind of steep in those moments. Like it, it, it doesn't seem to form as like strong of a bond as, as you get in the, like it's, it's a little bit like Dossie Juliet light. Mm-hmm. In in the movie, but in in the book, um, Juliet writes to Sophie and says, "Burn this letter. I would not care to have it amongst your collected papers. I've told you about Dossie, of course, but what I haven't told you is that on the very first evening that I arrived on the island, the moment Dossie held out both his hands to meet the gangplank, I felt an unaccountable jolt of excitement. Dossie is so quiet and composed that I had no idea if it was only me, so I struggled to be reasonable and casual and usual for the last two months, and I was doing very nicely until tonight. Dossie came over to borrow a suitcase for his trip to France to collect Remy and bring her here. Kit was asleep, so we walked up to the headlands. I was as close to him as I've ever been, so I began to take particular note of his wrists and hands. I was wanting to touch them, and the thought made me lightheaded. There was a knife ed- there was a knife edge feeling in the pit of my stomach. All at once Dossie turned. His face was shadowed, but I could see his eyes watching me, waiting. Who knows what might have happened next? A kiss, a pat on the head, nothing. Because the next second we heard we heard the local taxi pull up and the passenger called out, Surprise, darling. It was Mark, resplendent in his exquisitely tailored suit with a swath of red roses over his arm. I truly wished him dead. (laughs) What can I do? I went to greet him. And when he kissed me, all I could think of was don't not in front of Dossie. I introduced the two of them and watched dumbly as Dossie shook Mark's hand, then turned to me, shook my hand, said, thank you for the suitcase, Juliet. Good night. And climbed up in his cart and left without another word, without a backwards glance. I wanted to cry. Kit, who had, uh, who had been awakened, looked suspiciously, 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 sorry, I can't say that word, looked suspicious, suspiciously at Mark and wanted to know where Dossie had gone. He hadn't kissed her goodnight. Me neither, I thought to myself. <laughs> um, so I sat down and chewed my fingernails for over three hours. Should I take myself over to Dossie's house and try to pick up where we left off? But where did we leave off? I'm not sure. I don't want to make a fool of myself. What if he looked at me with polite incomprehension, or worse yet, with pity? Besides, what am I thinking? Mark is here. Mark, who is rich and debonair and wants to marry me. Mark, whom I was doing very well without. Why can't I stop thinking about Dossie, who probably doesn't give a hoot about me? But maybe he does. Maybe I was about to find out what's on the other side of that silence. Nice. Good one. Yeah, I'm like... As like I said, in, in the book, it's like it becomes like very clear. In in the movie, it could almost go either way. Like yeah. whether whether she's gonna end up with Mark or not. Or like whether she could. But then finally, um the reason that she completely one hundred percent like final this is it 
like good riddance tells Mark, I'm absolutely like never going to marry you um, is because of what he does is like, because of what he says to her here on the Island. Um, she tells Sophie, like I've refused to mark finally and irrevocably, irrevocably. And my elation is indecent. If I were properly brought up young lady, I draw the curtains and brood, but I can't, I'm free. Uh, Mark, um, he wasn't the um, he turned up at my door at seven radiating confidence and certain that we'd have a wedding date set by noon. He wasn't the least bit interested in what I'd been doing since I arrived. Didn't ask a single question about any of it. Mark said, your new friends must be damn smart. They've managed to saddle you with their responsibilities in less than two months. He shook his head, pitying me for being so gullible, but I just stared at him. She's a cute kid, Juliet, but she's got no claim on you. And you're going to have to be firm about it. Get her a nice dolly and say goodbye before she starts thinking you're going to take care of her for the rest of her life. Bye. Yeah. Like, now I was so angry I couldn't talk. But when I could finally speak again, I whispered, get out. I never want to see you again. Feeling better by the minute, I told him I would never marry him or anyone else who didn't love Kit or Guernsey or Charles Lamb. He tried to argue with me, then to coax me, then to kiss me, then to argue with me. But it was over, and even Mark knew it. Uh, for the first time in ages, I was completely sure I'd done the right thing. P.S. None of this means anything with regard to Dossie. Charles Lamb just popped out of my mouth by coincidence. <laughs> um, the uh, Dossie does like he writes a letter to Juliet while he's while he's in France, and Juliet picks up the wrong end of the stick. Happens. Because, you know, he says, you know, it's, it'll soon be time for me to gather Remy from the hospice. Uh, but as I have a few minutes, I'll write them to you. Um, the sisters cautioned me that Remy must be around people, cheerful people if possible. But how am I to serve up good cheer? Joking and such is not natural to me. Um, I didn't know what to say to the sisters, so I just nodded and tried to look jolly. I will do my best. But you, blessed as you are with a sunny nature and light heart, would make a better companion for Remy than I. I don't doubt that she will take to you as we all have these last months, and you will do her good. So Juliet writes to Sophie, Please ignore everything I have ever said about Dossie Adams. I'm an idiot. I've just received a letter from Dossie praising the medicinal qualities of my sunny nature and light heart. A sunny nature? A light heart? I've never been so insulted. Lighthearted is a short step away from witless in my book. A cackling buffoon, that's what I am to Dossie. I'm also humiliated. While I was feeling the knife edge of attraction while we strolled through the moonlight, he was thinking about Remy and how my light-minded prattle would amuse her. No, it's clear that I was deluded and Dossie doesn't give two straws about me. <laughs> that's not what he meant! I know! <laughs> <gasps> um... And so, like, you know, time, like, Remy, like, he brings Remy to the island, and everything just kind of changes between Juliet and Dossie. And it's, I think part of it is because of, like, her misunderstanding his letter, mm -hmm. and, and also just having Remy there, and how he, he doesn't dote on her so much, like, and that's the wrong word, but, like, he's, he's always there, like, looking out, look, like, looking after her, and, like, trying to take care of Remy. Because, like I said, he feels this... Duty. Yeah, he feels this responsibility to her. And so, you know, several, like, several weeks go by, and, and Juliet says to Sophie, you know, your inquiries, your inquiries about Dossie are misdirected. Send them to Kit or Remy. I scarcely see the man anymore, and when I do, he is silent. 
Not silent in a romantic brooding way like Mr. Rochester, but in a grave and sober way that indicates disapproval. I don't know what the trouble is. When I arrived on Guernsey, Dawsey was my friend. We talked about Charles Lamb, and we walked all over the island together, and I enjoyed his company as much as that of anyone I've ever known. Then, after that appalling night on the headlands, he stopped talking, to me at any rate. It's been a terrible disappointment. I miss the feeling that we understood one another, but I begin to think that it was only my delusion all along. It's just like I meant to, I meant to dispatch Do- I meant to dispatch Dossie in a terse sentence or two, but I see that he has taken several sheets. <laughs> um, then we find out like once um, now some time has passed, and then this is like a big thing in the book. Um, Juliet actually starts like setting into motion um, the necessary requirements to adopt Kit. Okay. So it it's big. Like this is like this is how much like she has found a home and a place on Guernsey. And even if like things like with her and Dossie are like, you know, still on edge, you know, like they they aren't like who they were before, she still loves this little girl like more than anything and is like and wants to like wants to adopt her legally and wants to like raise her on Guernsey. And so like Juliet has made herself a part of this community. Um, She's staying. She's already made. Yes. She, she has made that decision to stay. Um, And, and there, and this is where I'm trying to think of the way to phrase it. Like I said, Remy kind of ends up being part of like this, you know, love triangle. Yeah. quadrangle whatever unintentionally unintentionally because it's because Dossie just spends so much time caring for her that Juliet again you know kind of picks up the wrong end of the stick and there's there's a moment where the three of them Dossie and Juliet and and Remy are are walking back from town and a woman um, a woman walking her dog is coming from the other direction and at first the you know like everything's fine and then the dog gets overexcited and it starts jumping up and barking and it gives Remy a panic attack because the dogs were like in Robinsbrook, the dogs were riled up and set upon women. And, and so she just like Remy just completely loses it. And Dossie just starts screaming at Juliet, like get that dog away because Dossie yeah. knows this Juliet didn't. Yeah. And so, um, so later, like they take they take Remy back to Elizabeth's cottage, and and like get her like because she just like starts vomiting and crying and just yeah. just extremes, and and so Juliet you know, Juliet's like kind of put her to bed and like cleaned her up and she Dossie and Juliet are kind of talking later, and um, and Juliet is telling Sydney all of this in a letter and Dossie told Juliet. Um, Remy once told me that the guards use big dogs, ride them up and loose them deliberately on lines of women standing for roll call just to watch the fun. Christ, I've been ignorant, Juliet. I thought that being here with us could help her forget, but goodwill isn't enough, is it? Not nearly enough. He didn't say anything more, just nodded to me and left. And I'm so ashamed of myself. Had I actually thought Remy well enough to return home or did I just want her to go? Did I think it was past time for her to go back to France, to just get on with it, whatever it might be? I did, and it's sickening. As long as I'm confessing, I might as well tell you something else, that all I could think of was, he said, goodwill, goodwill isn't enough, is it? Does that mean that that's all he feels toward her? I've chewed over that thought all evening. 
And Sydney replies to her and it says, all that thought means is that you're in love with Dossie yourself. Surprised? I'm not. <laughs> um, I don't know what took you so long to, Took you so long to fall to it. I mean, sea air is supposed to clear your head after all. <laughs> it's like she's, and like th- this little bit is like sent in telegrams, and she just immediately sends him a telegram back that says, You're insufferable, especially when you're right. <laughs> um, and, and then we get, things are kind of like they start to kind of get back to normal or at least like close to normal for them. And they like, um, Kit. Um, Kit and Juliet, like, take a picnic to watch Dossie, like, repairing the stone wall around Elizabeth's cottage. And, um, and she's like, it was just a wonderful excuse to spy on Dossie and his way of doing things. He grew so accustomed to our admiring gazes, he issued an unprecedented invitation to supper. Kit had a prior engagement with Amelia, but I accepted with unbecoming haste and then fell into an absurd Twitter about being alone with him. (laughs) We were both a bit awkward when I arrived, but he at least had the cooking to occupy him and retired to the kitchen, refusing help. I had the opportunity to snoop through his books. He hasn't very many, but his taste is superior. After coffee, we strolled down to his barn for a pig viewing. Dossie's barn is exceedingly clean. He also stacks his hay beautifully. I believe I'm becoming pathetic. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, but I'll, I'll go further. I believe that I'm in love with a flower-growing, wood-carving, quarryman, carpenter, pig farmer. In fact, I know I am. Maybe tomorrow I will become entirely miserable, miserable at the thought that he doesn't love me back, that he may even care for Remy. But right this very moment, I'm succumbing to euphoria. My head and stomach feel quite odd. You may go ahead and give yourself airs for discovering that I love Dossie. And then it's like the next day or something. Like it's basically just enough time for him to, like for Sydney to get this letter and she sends him a telegram that says, I'm entirely miserable. Saw Dossie in St. Peterport this afternoon buying suitcase with Remy on his arm. Both wreathed in smiles. Is it for their honeymoon? What a fool I am. I blame you. <laughs> and here is where the, the, like, at this point, the writing of this, of the book changes. I mean, like, it's still, um, it's still epistolary. It's still everything. But we go a long stretch of time without anything from Juliet's point of view. Because I, I don't, there, there's a whole subplot of Isola having letters from Oscar Wilde. Okay. But like they didn't realize that they were from Oscar Wilde because like he just signed it like with, with like initials and stuff. And, um, and like it was, they were, they were some, they were something that was sent to Isola's grandmother i think is what it was like when she was a kid and so she had no idea who oscar wilde was and and so it's like there's this whole like it's just full of shenanigans of like them trying to get these letters authenticated and and like somebody like a woman who had gotten a job at sydney's publishing company um like was his secretary was like Oh, um, Sydney unexpectedly had to go to Rome, but I'll come and take those letters. And it turns out she's working with the uh, the shitbag journalist who like was interviewing Juliet at the beginning of the book. It's a whole thing, and it's hysterical. <laughs> um, but during this, like somebody um, somebody tells tells Isola like just because like you know she she had an eye for something, and you know she had like put something together or whatever. They mentioned to Isola that she's a regular Miss Marple. Okay. 
And so, so Isla has decided that she is going to start like taking essentially like detective notes on, on things. And because like, she's just determined to be like eagle eyed about like everything that's going on. And so essentially the rest of the book up to a point is Isla's detective notes. And Isla sees things, but doesn't understand. <laughs> but as the reader, you get to understand. But as, as the reader, we understand. Isola does not. <laughs> and so there's, um, they go, um, it's basically just like some, some little bits from, from Isola's notes. Um, uh, you know, Sydney comes to visit, like Sydney is like, I'm coming to like get these letters myself. So he, Sydney comes, comes back to the Island and there's Isola notes. Dossie watched Juliet, Sydney, and Kit go up the path that he did not follow. No, he walked down to the shore and just stood there, looking out over the water. It suddenly struck me that Dossie is a lonesome person, and I think it may be that he has always been lonely, but didn't mind before, and now he minds. Why now? So then they're having a uh, essentially sort of like a, a picnic out on the beach, and Eben makes the announcement that... Remy is, uh, or like, sorry, Evan has to make an announcement and, um, uh, Isola notes all were silent except for Juliet who drew in her breath so hard that I heard her. She didn't let it out. She didn't let it out again and went all rigid all over even her jaw. What could be the matter? Then Evan announces that, that this picnic that they're having, it's actually a farewell party for Remy because she's going back to, uh, she's going back to France. Uh, she's going, she's got a new home in Paris. She's going to be rooming with, with somebody and she's going to be essentially like apprentice to like a chef. And so, you know, she's kind of got a new life on track and that, you know, she is going to come back to Guernsey at some point. And they've already decided that when she comes back, she's going to stay with Evan and Eli. And, um, and so after this news, you know, everybody rushes around Remy, uh, to congratulate her, everyone except Juliet. She let her, she let out her breath in a whoosh and flopped backward on the sand like a gaffed fish. I peered around thinking that I should observe Dossie. He wasn't hover, he wasn't hovering over Remy at all, but how sad he looked. All of a sudden, it came to me. I had it. Dossie didn't want Remy to go. He feared she'd never come back. He was in love with Remy and too shy in his nature to tell her so. Well, I'm not. I could tell her of his affections and she would know what to do. They could marry and she would not need to go off to Paris and live. Then Sidney came up to Juliet and prodded her with his foot. Feeling better, he asked, and Juliet said yes, so I quit worrying about her. Remy is practical. She would want evidence of Dossie's feelings for her before she changed her plans willy-nilly. So that I would have to find the proof that she would need. Oh no. Yes. <laughs> so Isola Isola goes up and tells Dossie, Hey, I'm gonna come clean your house. And he's like, I oh okay, why? And she goes, Well, just like I'm gonna do everything. I'm gonna scrub, I'm gonna polish, and just everything. Just it's an early Christmas present. And she's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and so Isola's doing this so she can snoop. Um so, so she takes her notes and says, like, I will sweep and scrub Dossie's house, keeping a watch out for evidence that he cares for Remy. Maybe a poem, ode to Remy, all scrunched up in the waste paper basket, or doodles of her name scribbled all over his grocery list. Proof that Dossie cares for Remy must be in plain sight. Once I give proof of his devotion to Remy, she'll not get on the airplane to Paris on Tuesday. She will know what to do, and then Dossie will be happy. <laughs> 
And so there's this, there's this whole thing of, um, Elizabeth was essentially kind of adopted into a wealthy family and, and the, uh, sort of like a Downton Abbey kind of situation. And when the, when the nobleman, like he had, it, it was his property on Guernsey where Elizabeth was living. And, and he go, he went back to England. He died just over the course of the war. And so since Elizabeth died too, basically these places are now kits. Um, and it's like, but there was, there was like the big house, which was sort of, you know, like the, the, the manor where he lived and Elizabeth had her cottage. And so over the course of the war, the big house has just kind of fallen into disrepair and people on Guernsey have talked about maybe making it sort of like, for lack of a better word, like a hotel for like a place for like, Mm -hmm. now that things are picking up, it could be a place for people to come and stay, um, you know, like a bed and breakfast kind of place. And so Dossie and, you know, various other people on the Island are working to fix it up. And so he goes to work at the big house. Isola like walks through the farm and is literally like looking for carved hearts on trees. (laughs) Um, And then she, you know, she starts, um, uh, she says, like I was, like I was beginning to despair when I thought of his books. I was fair along when I saw his little red book of Charles Lamb's life. What was it doing here? I had seen him put it in the wooden treasure box that Eli carved for him. But if the red book was here on the shelf, what was inside his treasure box? I lifted the lid and glanced inside. Still nothing. Not a note from Remy. Not a photograph of her. No cinema ticket for Gone with the Wind. Though I knew he'd taken her to see it. No handkerchief with the initial R in the corner. There was one, but it was one of Juliet's scented ones and had a J embroidered on it. He must have forgotten to return it to her. Other things were in there, but nothing of Remy's. My mission had failed. (laughs) Um, Remy would get on the airplane tomorrow and Dossie would stay lonely. I was heart sore. So I went to Juliet's thinking she could cheer me. And I told her all about it. My idea that Dossie was in love with Remy and how I'd cleaned his house looking for proof. Evidence, I said, but no, like looking for evidence, but no, not even a picture of her. There's lots of pictures of you and Kit and several of you by yourself. He kept your letters tied up in that blue hair ribbon, the one that you thought you'd lost. I know he wrote Remy at the hospice and she must have written him back, but no, nary a letter from Remy, not even her handkerchief, but oh, he found one of yours. You might want it back. Juliet surprised me then. She turned around to me and gave me gave me that grin that she has, the one that made me first like her so much. Where's Dossie? Up at the big house, isn't he? Oh, wonderful, Juliet. She's going to give Dossie a piece of her mind for sharking his feelings for Remy. <laughs> the point. I missed it. <laughs> yes, exactly. So this is where in the movie, like it, you know, this is how it differs, the 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 kind of like the big moment between Dossie and Juliet. You know, the movie makes it, it's more Hollywood, more dramatic. Mm-hmm. You know, it, they both have, like, they're both doing the rom-com chase and they meet in the middle in the mm-hmm. movie. And in this, I I just, I love it just ever so slightly more. Because um, Juliet goes up to the big house. Dossie said, hello, Juliet. And he was on top of the big stepladder. I found that out later when he made so much noise coming down it. Juliet said she would like a word with Dossie. And Dossie said, is something wrong, Juliet? Is Kit all right? Kit's fine. It's me. I want to ask you something. Oh, I thought she's going to tell him not to be a sissy, to tell him he must stir his stir himself up and go propose to Remy at once. But she didn't. What she said was, would you like to marry me? I like to die where I stood. There was quiet, complete quiet, nothing. 
On and on it went, not a word, not a sound. But Juliet went on undisturbed, her voice steady, and me, I could not get so much as a breath of air into my chest. I'm in love with you, so I thought I'd ask, she said. And then Dossie, dear Dossie, swore. He took the Lord's name in vain. My God, yes, he cried and clattered down the stepladder. Only his heels hit the rungs, which is how he now has a sprained ankle. (laughs) That's perfect. Yeah. Um, So for now, I will ask Kit over to supper and to spend the night with me so that Juliet and Dossie can have the freedom of the shrubbery, just like Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth Bennet. (laughs) And so it's, this is how like the book ends is that Juliet writes to Sydney and says, I require your presence at my wedding. I have seized the day and the night too. Can you come and give me away in Amelia's back garden on Saturday? Eben to be best man, Isola to be maid of honor, Kit to throw rose petals, Dossie to be groom. Are you surprised? Probably not, but I am. I'm in a constant state of surprise these days. Actually, now that I calculate it, I've only been patrol I've only been betrothed one full day, but it seems like my whole life has come into being in the last 24 hours. Think of it. We could have gone on longing for one another and pretending not to notice forever. This obsession with dignity can ruin your life if you let it. Is it unseemly to get married so quickly? I don't want to wait. I want to begin all at once. All my life I thought that the story was over when the hero and heroine were safely engaged. After all, what's what's good enough for Jane Austen ought to be good enough for anyone. But it's a lie. The story is about to begin, and every day will be a new piece of plot. Dossie has just come down from the big house and is demanding my immediate attention. His much-vaunted shyness has evaporated completely. I think it was all a ploy to arouse my sympathies. <laughs> <laughs> and there, like, there, there are things from the movie that like I absolutely love. Um... Like I said, the the scene in the like the scene in the pub where um, she's gone to to kind of get away from from the boarding house for the night, and and he like he's surprised to see her, you know, in this like you know very small pub, and um, and he says, you know, and he like very kind of shyly says, you know, like you you find this an improvement? Well, it's not London, and. You know, and he asked to buy her a drink. And I love it that when, like, they, McKeel, McKeel, he's and Lily James, they do, like, such an amazing job of, like, conveying, like, affection and, and little, like, little emotions just, like, through, like, looks and smiles. And it's no more apparent than in that pub scene. Um, because, you know, he asked to buy her a drink and she just completely brightens up. And, um, and when, you know, when he, he comes back and he sits down, he's kind of chuckling to himself and she's like, you know, what's so funny? And he's, you know, he tells her, like, well, you're not what I expected. She's like, well, you know, how did you imagine me when you wrote me a letter? And he kind of, he laughs and he tells her, you know, tweed hunting skirt, very large in the bottom, teeth like a horse, a few wisps of ginger gray hair, and glasses thick as jam jars. And she just laughs. He's like, well, she sounds lovely. <laughs> and, um, you know, he asks, you know, and who, you know, and you, who was the pig farmer that you sent books to? And, you know, she tells him, you know, I had a couple of ideas, but it was more sense that I was writing to someone who understood me, that I didn't have to explain myself too much to. And, like, other than that, like, they, it's, like I said, the movie, the movie feels very much like Dossie and Juliet light, like, compared, compared to the mm-hmm. book. 
And because basically, like, other than that, we get them in the society meeting where Kit is asleep on Dossie's lap and, like, she drops her doll and, like, Dossie and Juliet both go to pick it up and, like, their hands touch and they kind of <laughs> give each other a look. And, and it's like, oh, oh my. <laughs> um, the, um, there's, there's one scene in the movie that just, I don't know what it is. It just, like, it makes, like, my heart stop watching it. Because there is something so, like, palpable about it. And, and it's the moment that, because, <laughs> basically, and any feelings that I have about the character of Mark in the movie all come down to, like, Glenn Powell. Yeah. And so... <laughs> And as much as I love Mikhail Huseman, like, the first time I watched the movie, I was like, eh, you know, she's gonna end up with Dawsey. Like, that's just how these movies work. But, it's like, I, I, at the time, I didn't particularly care who she ended up with. And then there's this scene where um, Dawsey has asked her, has asked Juliet to take Kit home, because he has some work that he has to do. And so, so she goes, she and Kit, they, like, they spend some time together. Kit falls asleep. And Juliet just kind of wanders around the house and she goes into Dossie's room. And, um, and during, like, when she and Kit were playing, like, Kit had put a flower in Juliet's hair. And I don't know what it is, but, like, Juliet goes into Dossie's room and she picks up the Charles Lamb book that was, that used to be hers. And, you know, she looks at her, she looks at her name in the, you know, in the inside and she opens it up and Dossie has saved her letters and kept them in this book. And, and then you just, he enters the room and she kind of freezes for a second of like, uh Oh, I'm caught. And, um, but he, like he enters the room and like, and you know, he sees her there like in his bedroom, which, you know, you could think a person would be like, um, what you doing? But he comes in and he just stands there just silently and waits for her to speak. And, you know, she says, it's such a small thing. It's just a book, but yet it's brought me all this way. And, you know, she turns around to him. And again, like, he doesn't say anything. He just, like, reaches up and, like, takes the flower from her hair. And there is something about this moment that, like, is so electrically charged. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. That I just, I don't know what it is that I, literally, like, th that's basically the entire scene. And then, mm -hmm. you know, she tells him, oh, yeah, Kit's asleep and starts to leave. And, and he says, oh, she's becoming very fond of you. And, and, like, that's it. And, like, he just, like, watches her leave. But I'm, like, <laughs> like, emotions, feels. Like, yeah. somebody say something. Face acting is good. There. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, yeah. And then, like, there, there's the moment where, you know, he tells her about the night that Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth was arrested. And, you know, and she asks, you know, do you love Elizabeth? And it's, like, he starts to, to speak, and then fucking Mark shows up. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, and, oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, um, the, uh, like, I don't know. Like, I, I like, I do love the movie. I love the movie a lot. Mm -hmm. And I might not have read the book if it weren't for the movie. And like, I love, I love McKeel Huseman and I love, I love Lily, Lily James. I love Glenn Powell. I like I, just the entire cast of this movie is mm -hmm. incredible and it's a good adaptation. I'm like, it's, it's a Hollywood adaptation, but there's like the movie, as much as I like all of the stuff with Remy and Juliet, just kind of being an idiot. Um, 
You know, the movie doesn't need it. It's harder to get away with that in a movie than it is in a book. Yes, exactly. I mean, like, this is a weird example, but to compare, the Anna Green Gables uh, books and movies, mm-hmm. they're very, very different. Yes. Um, but one of the things in the books, uh, in Anne of the Island, which is the one where Gilbert and Anne get together, is... And I'm not talking about Anne Gilbert today, but no, no. <laughs> but the way they get together, Anne has been an idiot this whole time because right. she I has missed that. she has missed that she's in love with Gilbert because she's in love with the idea of romance, and so she yes. doesn't understand what love is supposed to be. But as the reader, all the things she's feeling, we understand. Yes, and, see, and the same thing happens in kind of the Hunger Games and stuff right. like that. You have it's easier to do that in a book than to do that in a movie. So I'm kind yeah. of glad it's not in the movie because it'd be harder to. Yeah, it, it it's would definitely be harder. Yeah, like there there are things about the movie or like things from the book that I I wish we could get in the movie. Like the in the book, like the friendship between Juliet and Sydney is so pivotal. Like pivotal, and I wish we had more Sydney <laughs> in the movie. And this is not just because I love Matthew Good. So don't give me but that look. But it's part. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just like, and I, I absolutely like I, I loved Juliet and Dossie. Just the, um, just like the simplicity of it. Um, when I like watching the movie. And then, like, when I read the book, I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is terrific. And it does have, they do, this is going to sound so strange, but they have a little bit of, like, a Laura and Almanzo feel to me. I can it, see that. Yeah, it just kind of, in that, like, if. Like know, that moment where Laura's like, "I'm why is he walking me home? I right. don't understand. Yeah, exactly. And, like, it's. You know, like does not compute. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's just kind of how Juliet is the entire time. Like, you know, Juliet is brilliant, but she's also an idiot <laughs> at sometimes. And and I I love I love getting to see that in a book. And and while I wish that there was more from Dossie in the in the book, it, it almost doesn't need it. Mm-hmm. Like it almost doesn't need it just because. Um, because again, because he is like he is so stoic, he is so silent, um, you know. And everybody talks about like you know that you know that there being more to him, but you know, but it's not something that he presents. Well, and from what you've said, his actions speak louder than yes, his letters exactly, ever could. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and but you know, you're not going to get him putting down those actions yeah. in a letter. So it's like you just kind of have to see it from everybody, like other mm-hmm. people's point of view. And I just, like I said, I absolutely fell in love with this book. And as soon as I read it, I was like, Dossie and Juliet, they have to go on my list. But anyway, I, I think you've, you've told me who you've got. I have. And um, I, I'm vaguely familiar with it, but I'm looking but forward to, only to hearing. vaguely. Okay. So I'm talking about a show that came out in the 90s, of the late 90s. Uh, it's called The Pretender. It was on from 1996 to 2000. And they made two t- made-for-TV movies in 2001. Uh, they always intended to make a third. It just never happened. Mm-hmm. So the second one leaves you with kind of a mythology cliffhanger. Like, because mm-hmm. the show, like, I'm going to, I'll get into what the show is in a minute. Um, the thing about my couple, <laughs> they aren't together ever. <laughs> uh, of the 80, I think 86 or 87 episodes, I have it written somewhere in here. They, the, the, the adult characters share scenes eight times. They're they're in the same scene eight times. Okay. However, they talk on the phone a lot. 
Okay. The phone becomes the letters in this case. Like, yeah, I was, I was about to say, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very strange. There's also a character named Sydney in this, but he's a father figure, but still. Right. Um, so I'm going to open it. I'm going to, the best way to explain this is to give you the opening of the TV show. This is how every episode opened. <clears throat> there are pretenders among us. Geniuses with the ability to become anyone that they want to be. In 1963, a corporation known as the Center isolated a young pretender named Jared and exploited his genius for their research. Then one day, their pretender ran away. And it would go into, like, the opening credits. Yeah, I watched a little bit of this show. I was friggin' addicted to this show. It's just, for whatever reason, I could just never catch it. I will explain, like, they had, like, they were the first show I ever watched that had, like, online games about their own show. Oh, yeah. They had, like, SL27, you could go and explore it, and, like, they had a mystery game that I played on there. It was, it was a really cool show. Yeah. It, I will always say it preceded its time a little bit. Mm -hmm. I, uh... Because we talked about, we've talked about off mic X Files and yeah. and Fringe and how those two led to each other. Mm-hmm. This was coming out the same time X Files was. So, oh, right, nineteen ninety six. Yeah. So X Files had it was kind of has that same feel. Uh, it has the first couple of seasons have some episodic stuff to them, mm-hmm. but they were very much building a deep mythology in the show. Um, I'll explain. Uh, the main character is named Jared. Uh, he is he escapes the center when he is in his thirties. Mm-hmm. I don't remember thirty something uh, because he found out that what he had been told was a lie. Mm-hmm. He had been told he was doing this these simulations, what they're called, all his life to help people, to save people. Mm-hmm. He does a simulation. You see him in flashbacks because they had he stole all of the video recordings of his entire thing. It is his father figure, Sydney's life's research. Yeah. And he stole it when he, when he left. Yeah. So you watch him watch old videos of, of himself to kind of remind himself where Man. like different things happen. Young him is played by Ryan Merriman. Yeah. That was one of the reasons I watched the show. Uh, adult him is played by Michael T. Weiss, mm-hmm. uh, who like, uh, Craig, Oh, Craig W. Sickle, I think is his name created the show. He says, Michael T. Weiss was born to play the pretender. Mm-hmm. Um, because the other like interesting thing about the show is when he first breaks out, he has spent like he was kidnapped at like five years old, mm-hmm. like four between four and six. Yeah, like that's how old he was when he got taken, and he was told his parents died and that the center Sydney and the center would now be taking care of him. Yeah, but not true. His parents were very much alive. Uh, of course, and his he finds out through the course of the series that his parents are alive and he gets to meet his father. He sees his mother in one of the most heart wrenching, beautiful scenes Mm -hmm. in the show. She gets out of this, uh, this because he is still being chased by the center. Yeah. And he, she gets out of this taxi cab and he sees what are called the sweepers, which are the cleaners. They're they're there to kill them coming after her. And he yells at her to get back in the taxi. And she just like her eyes fill with tears and she gets back in and just mouths. I love you at Mm -hmm. him as the taxi drives away. (laughs) Like it is so good. Yeah. Uh, But the other thing is because he spent his entire childhood in the center, Mm -hmm. he doesn't expose to things like ice cream. Yeah. And silly putty. And so like different episodes, especially in the first couple of seasons, he has a different obsession each episode, like figuring out Pez dispensers. Oh yeah. And silly putty and ice cream and fake dog poop in one. Like right. like just fake joke products. Yeah. And, and things of that nature. So that's he has this childlike naivete. Yeah. But he also is super smart. Cause like what I mean when he 
when I say he could, he has a genius, they show him different times doing different simulations. One of them, he's investigating the death of Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. And and he's in the mind of the killer, like, mm-hmm. in this particular instance. Because there is a big conspiracy theory that yes. that she was killed and didn't commit suicide. And so he's in the headspace of both her and the killer trying to explain. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little profiler, which that show was also out at the time, because there's yeah. a crossover with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it crossed over two, two or three times. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, but, but he is, like, in that headspace. And then the, uh, the Kennedy assassination he, I remember he does that. that one. Yeah, I remember um, that episode. He mentions specifically uh, in the first episode, he talks about how there was a plane crash where 133 people died that was based on one of his pretends, as well as an outbreak simulation he did uh, uh, where it caused an Ebola outbreak. Mm-hmm. Like, they took his research and caused an Ebola outbreak to kill, you know, uh, not quite 100 people. Yeah. And so all of all of his life, he's finding out that all of these things he did was wrong. And so he is now an angel of justice in a lot of ways. Right. That's the episodic nature. He he goes every week. He's a different person. The first episode, he's a doctor. Yeah, and he defends the weak and abused, and that <clears throat> becomes his nature. Like in the center, he had to keep a red notebook to to explain his like thought process and mm-hmm. stuff like that. He does the same thing only with newspaper clippings, but he's keeping a red notebook at every place, and he leaves kind of breadcrumbs for the sender to find him eventually. Yeah. And they can find that red notebook and see what he's done. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of that is because he, he wants to make amends mm-hmm. for, for what he has done in the past, even though it wasn't his fault. Like he had yeah. no way of knowing <laughs> what was being done to him. Um, in very rare instances, they used him to solve crimes like mm-hmm. that. That was a very rare instance. Usually he was, he was contracted. Mm-hmm. The center was contracted to do different things. You see, like, back shots of him growing up. Oh, it also turns out the center kidnapped his brother, Kyle. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, Kyle I was that. turned into an assassin serial killer. Yep. <laughs> uh, the I Decide Who Lives or Dies. Uh-huh. Like, oh, man. And, and, it, and But finding out his brother Jared is still alive, like, there's a whole thing there. He has a sister named Emily he gets to meet. Uh, I'm surprised I remember and then his it's father, like Major this, Charles, yeah. he gets to meet. But there's only four seasons of the actual show, and yeah. it the mythology deepens and deepens. And then there's another character that obviously, because I'm talking about a couple. Yes. Um, while he's in the center, this you find this out in the first season. Like, so this is we're still in the first season. But he there's a little girl, simply called Miss Parker. Her father runs the center. He is Mister Parker. Yeah. And. It, she is brought in as an experiment to see how this now 11, 12 year old boy will respond to seeing a female for the first time, a female, his own age. Okay. And like they have him hooked up to monitors and stuff when they bring her in. Right. He's like, she's a girl, Jared. And, and there's like a plexiglass window in between them. And he puts his hand up to the window and she puts mm-hmm. her hand up to the window. And that's how they meet. Mm-hmm. They, there's another little boy about the same age named Angelo who also lives in the center. And the three of them have a variety of adventures through the four seasons that you see flashbacked. Uh, The best one being faith, which is in season four. And it is, it'll, it breaks your heart into pieces. They find a little girl who's dying and Mm -hmm. they befriend her. Oh man. And, and she makes them promise that they'll never forget her. Yeah. And in the real world at that time, Miss Parker is in danger and Jared is in danger and they're both saved by her. Oh wow. Yeah. Like, 
It's it's intense. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's one of the more like because toward the end of the show they started getting a little bit more mystical with a couple of things. Mm-hmm. And, but the show, like I said, it starts off with Jared escaping as an adult. Miss mm-hmm. Parker has been brought in to bring Jared in. The pilot episode, we don't actually know that she has history with Jared, but starting episode two, we do. Mm-hmm. Because Miss Parker's thing <laughs> I'm going to use because originally, uh, recently in 2014, so it's not that recent, unfortunately. The the creators of the show started putting out books, yeah, to re kind of revamp it, and they said it in 1983 he's kidnapped instead, so they they bring the ages forward, but um, they only came out with two books, unfortunately. <laughs> oh man, and both were in 2014. So, oh, but their description of Miss Parker is. I could not put it into words until I Right. <laughs> we were talking about that earlier. Parker is a deliciously cunning woman Jared has known since childhood, and there's a truly multifaceted cat and mouse relationship. One driven by Jared, who holds the key to the emotional secrets at her very core, secrets that fuel her relentless drive to recapture him. And that's kind of Miss Parker. Like, I always think of the song uh, Short Skirt, Long Jacket with Miss Parker. Right. Like, she is a hard-drinking, smoking like very much woman of the nineties of power. Like yes. she, she wears her leather skirted armor. Right. To battle. Like she wears short leather skirts and she uses them to her advantage. She yeah. knows, she knows what she's doing. It, it is all armor. Yeah. Underneath. She is a little girl who believes her mom killed herself. Yeah. To find out in episode two, it didn't happen. Like they don't draw that out. Like in episode, the beginning of episode two, or one of the first things in episode two, uh, is Jared, watches a tape watches it's it's called a dsa but watches the video of uh, it's a pretend he's doing but you hear screaming and gunshots yeah and in and miss parker's being little miss parker is being drugged into the room which i didn't talk about this miss parker is played by andrea parker Uh weirdly enough and a little girl miss parker is played by i wrote it down because i've never heard of her ashley peldon um, no clue. Yeah, but Andrea Parker, I mean, Jeff knows ahead of time, Andrea Parker is one of the most amazing, like, I think she's one of the most amazing oh, actresses. Oh, Andrea, Andrea Parker's incredible. Women, and yeah. I for, you know, like, for a, for a younger audience, maybe, younger listeners. Pretty Little Liars. Yeah, yeah, you might know her, like, as Jessica De Laurentiis on Pretty Little Liars. She's and, Alice, uh, and, and whatever her name is. Yeah, the other they're, one. They're, <laughs> There are like 15 sets of twins on that show. Yeah. I can't keep um, them straight. She was on a sitcom called Less Than Perfect. Yep. She was on the first season of JAG. She had multiple episodes. That's they right. actually wanted her for the main character, yeah. uh, but CBS didn't want her. Or NBC. It was NBC the first season. Didn't want didn't want her. By the time season two came around, which is when they moved to CBS, I'm going to cover JAG in another thing. Just yeah. It's going to be a thing. But when they moved to CBS for season two... Uh, Donald Bell Sawyer tried to get her, but she had already signed with the Pretender. Yeah, so she couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, because she was gone. So that's when they brought in Catherine Bell. But she is so good in this role because yeah. the thing about Miss Parker, like I said, she has this armor. She is prickly. She is yeah. tough. But underneath it, she is so vulnerable. Like, and she shows that in the second episode. Like, I didn't realize it was that early. Yeah. Until I was going back to do the research for this. Second episode, you find out, she finds out that her mother was murdered. Mm -hmm. Because she was always told that her mother committed suicide in this elevator at the center. Mm -hmm. Not what happened. Because when you watch the video, you hear four gunshots. Mm. And screaming. Yeah. And 
Oh, it's so good because like Jerry, you're you're seeing it all from Jared's perspective at first, and he's just screaming. They're trying to hurt her. They're trying to hurt her, and like they're having to hold Jared back. Yeah, and then they're pulling Little Miss Parker into the room, and Jared remembers it vividly. He paints a picture of it mm-hmm. and gives it to her at the end, like by the end of the episode, and like it's just that's when his because like he. In the pilot, you see his association with Sydney, who was the psychiatrist who was put in charge of Jared, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and he's amazing. Played by Patrick... I can't ever say his last name correctly. It's like B-A-C-H-A-U. Can't say it correctly. Not going to try. Uh, he is an amazing actor in this. And and John Grease plays Brutes, who's the IT tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people know John Grease from Napoleon Dynamite, of all things. Oh, man. Yeah, like, like I was... The first time I realized he was in it, I was like, wait, what... But, and Brutes is kind of the comedic relief in the center. Um, James Denton comes in and plays one of the most deliciously evil villains. Man. Uh, uh, he, he, he turns out he winds up being Miss Parker's twin brother, who was raised separately from her. Uh, she didn't know he existed. Uh, his name's Mr. Lyle. And, like, season four, he comes in full white suit evil. Like, oh my god, they're torturing Jared, and he comes in full white suit with, with yeah, like, just James Denton is amazing. Like I love James Denton. He is so good at humor. He's in desperate housewives. Yeah. But his character is one of the most terrifying villains I've ever known. Like I've ever, like I remember being a kid and being scared of Mr. Lyle because he does it all with a smile. Uh huh. And like, that's the most terrifying. You find out in the last season, he's a serial killing cannibal. Maybe. Like, like it's heavily implied that he likes to kill Asian co-eds. Is it wrong that I was okay with serial killer, but then when you said cannibal, I'm like, fuck this dude. <laughs> he also, I remember this thing really vividly. He gets his thumb cut off for, for disobedience at one point, but then when he gets power, he cuts the guy's thumb off who took his and takes that thumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He gets it surgically put on. Sorry. Yeah. My, this my, show... brain, my brain just went to Lindsay on Angel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is like idle hand situation. Well, I mean, then there's there's Mr. Rains, who is they call him the Nosferatu of the center. He is an old bald man who is on oxygen, so you have the squeaky oxygen always with him. He still smokes cigarettes while on the oxygen. <laughs> he, okay, you said Nosferatu, but my brain went Nostradamus. No, 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 no. And so I just started thinking about rain, and I was no, about to no, just no, start no. laughing. But oh man, but Miss Parker. <sighs> Uh, oh man, it's just she is so difficult because she's she's such a good character. Yeah, uh, she's one of the like I think for me she's one of the most really complicated female characters. The first ones I really I like not necessarily identified with because I don't have any appreciated. Of that. Yeah, maybe I, I joked with with my husband because I watched the show The Magicians and Margot. Yeah. I joke is like an after effect of her. <laughs> like it's the same reason I love Margot. I love her. She is blunt. She will grab you by the grab a guy by the balls and throw him out a window if yeah. she feels it's necessary. Um, she, but she also has these moments of beautiful vulnerability. Like yeah. Andrew Parker knows how to cry. I'll put it that yes. way. Like, oh man. Like I said, the adult actors only share eight scenes in the eighty six episodes. Uh, although they do spend more time together in the two movies. Yes, and phone calls are the biggest way that they communicate with each other. Yeah, I, I remember Jared is calls. smart enough to figure out that no one, like, how to make sure he can't be tracked. Yeah. Essentially. So, <laughs> or if he's being tracked, you know, it's because he allowed you to track him, basically. So he, he sets that up really early, and so he calls Sydney and he calls Miss Parker. 
a lot. Yeah. Sydney, he usually calls when he is in a moral dilemma, like, or when mm-hmm. he is he is upset about something that the center has done to him. Yeah. Miss Parker, he calls when he needs to tell her something. Yeah. Although at the beginning of episode two is one of my favorite like exchanges between them. Cause he calls her in the like, middle of the night and she's like, what? He's like, Oh, <laughs> you're a, uh, I can't remember exactly what it was. But it's like, uh, after I took all the trouble to interrupt your, your, the deepest part of your sleep cycle, how could you, you know, how, how could you act like this? And she's like, and then she's like, huh, what time is it where you are? He goes, cute. Not funny, but cute. Yeah. And then through the exchange, she ends up, he ends up saying something and she goes, cute. Not funny. Cute. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, like, so they have this like immediate chemistry. That's where you find out they knew each other's children. And, and like, it's, I think it's like episode 17 or 18 in season one that you find out uh, how they met. Yeah. And then the, they grew up together. She was his first kiss. Aww. Their only kiss in the entire series. <laughs> so right there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they almost kiss one other time. A couple other times. But the big one, yeah, they almost kiss one other time. But Jared mostly uncovers secrets of Miss Parker's past and mm-hmm. shows her how the center has been keeping her a prisoner through manipulation and lies. Yeah. She thinks she's not a prisoner, but she is. Right. And, and he reveals that to her throughout the show be, through like discoveries he makes. He would tell her everything he knew immediately if he could, but he makes discoveries about the show and begins to trade her sec- her secrets for his secrets mm-hmm. because their, their lives are very intertwined. You find out in like the last movie, their mothers knew each other. Mm-hmm when they were pregnant with each other. Yeah. Like, like it is a very like, also you find out in the last season, they share a half sibling, Ew. which sounds weird. Um, mom, Ew. her mom faked her death. Like the, the murder wasn't actually a murder. It was a fake. Of course. And she was artificially inseminated with Jared's fathers. Ew. Yeah. No. So they share a half, a half sibling. This is Ethan. like proto pretty little liars. What the fuck? By the end. Yes. But Ethan is a is an empath, so he's a very it's a very interesting like storyline with him and stuff, and it, it gives. There's also a moment where they think they might be siblings when she, when she finds out Lyle. This is before like the, the the immediate time they both think that they might be. There's like this look between them, like oh geez, yeah. But then you find out no, it's Mr. Lyle, which is actually worse because <laughs> like cool. it comes down to like three people: it's Angelo, Jared, or Lyle. Yeah, and she's like, I never thought I'd be rooting for Angelo because Angelo is. Not handicapped, but he's an, an emotional empath. Yeah. And it, it, he has brain damage, sort of. Um, he takes some medicine at one point and is actually almost cured of it, but he gives his last dose to baby Haley Joel Osment to save him <laughs> instead. Like, it's, uh, it's such a good episode. But it's so weird. Like, it's a weird thing, but it winds up, they are so close with each other. They, there is this bond that they can't. Yeah. That, that can't be ignored no matter she still, you know, chases him and tries to catch him. But so like, there's always this chemistry and genuine attraction and love that they have for mm-hmm. each other. Uh, like in season one, when he reveals her mother's murdered uh, at one point in the season, first season, she actually catches up to him uh-huh. and she's by herself. And there's a hurricane in Florida where they are. And he, cause he's trying to finish a pretend and she gets kind of caught at the end and there's this whole thing where they end up having to work together to escape the bad guy who is super bad and is trying to murder them. He saves her life. Mm-hmm. And she looks at him and she goes, why, why did you do that? And he's like, because I still remember the little girl that gave me my first kiss. And then he ties her up and leaves her. <laughs> like it's safe by that point. Knows. It's safe I by know. that point. I know. I know. Well, cause he already had her handcuffed at one point and she broke her thumb to escape. So he's like, you have to break one of your thumb to get out of this one. 
and then he leaves. And I think that guy actually comes back as a villain later on, like yeah. for like one episode. But there's not there's not a lot in the first season where they're like I said, there's only eight eight scenes where they're ever in the same scene. Yeah, but um, but yeah, and, and the first couple of seasons is really she's chasing him as he's running. Uh, in season two, there's this amazing episode. It's like episode eleven. I forgot the name of it, but he plays a gigolo. <laughs> Okay. He's pretending to be a gigolo, but he actually like prepares a family's ma- a husband and wife's marriage while, d- and he also does another like he yeah. does, like, two and one. Yeah. Yeah. But this, this like housewife hires him to be a gigolo and he comes in and realizes within minutes, she's actually just mad at her husband who right. now lives over the garage in the same, like she, oh, my Lord. and she's just trying to like get over her husband and he, and he winds up figuring out, well, her husband just needs to put a little more effort in. And so like, he's got like a postcard of them from Paris, like, oh, God. but to prepare to be a gigolo, he was a romance writer. Romance right. novelist. This is this is a Valentine's Day episode. <laughs> okay. And so he wrote a novel called The Saddest Little Valentine. Yeah. And the cover art looks like Miss Parker. <laughs> and naturally she's a little pissed. Uh-huh. And, and he talks to Sydney about it, and then he calls Parker at the end of the episode. And Miss Parker is reading the novel. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's really interesting because like it shows in flashback the point where she meets Jared. Yeah. And it's putting his dialogue from the thing over. It's talking about how she's in this palace and they have this empty palace. They've taken everything away from her. Uh, She used to be, you know, this passionate, this spark, passionate woman. Uh, And she had a smile that could melt winter into spring. And like, like, that's a good line. Yeah. And then he tell he says, but until she basically rediscovers that spark within herself, she'll always be the saddest little Valentine. Yeah. And then the phone rings (laughs) and it's Jared. And she's talking on the phone to him and she says, or he, he's talking to her about the book and she's, I don't know exactly what she says, but uh, he's like, we both want the same things. Someone to care about, someone to care about us. You think we'll ever find that kind of love? And she takes a beat before giving this exasperated, what do you want from me, Jared? <laughs> like, just, yeah. what do you want? And Jared just sighs and says, open the box and hangs up the phone. Cause mm-hmm. she's got a gift from him in front of her. Yeah. And she opens the box and inside it's a, it's like a, like a yeah. not big box, but like a is one conversation candy heart that says, be my Valentine. Oh, that's and pretty great. She pops it into her mouth. Yeah. And that's where the episode ends. Oh wow. Like it's like such a good moment. Yeah. Cause you can see that there is an affection there Yeah, and that there is that's definitely terrific. feeling there. Um, at the end of season two, I mentioned Haley Joel Osment. I think that's who it is. I'd have to look back and make sure I'm right. But little boy being exploited by the center. And in the same way, Angelo is going to be, is exploited. Yeah. And they decide to, like, basically he is trying to save them, but it is a race against, mm-hmm. against the clock. And Angelo, and he gets caught. And the little boy is captured. And Parker is there with, with the, the bad guys, the, yeah. the sweepers. And they are going to a plane to fly back to the center and Angelo bless his heart. Like Jared is begging Parker. He's like, we have to save this boy. We cannot allow what happened to us to happen to him. Yeah. And Parker is like, there's nothing I can do. Just kind of shut up. I'm not, I can't do anything. It's done. They're walking to the plane and Angelo fakes a headache, like fakes, like he's having a seizure, falls to the ground, Pulls out a syringe that's filled with nothing and stabs one of the cleaners in the leg. <laughs> and Jared uses that to get free, throws the little boy over his shoulder and runs to the plane because Jared can fly a plane. Yeah. He's pretended to be a pilot. 
makes sense. Mm -hmm. He runs to the plane and uh, Angelo has tackled like the other guy and like is trying to keep Mm -hmm. them busy essentially. And Parker has a clear shot as he is getting in the plane. Her gun is out and she just looks and doesn't take it. Yeah. And Jared closes the door and flies off. And the other cleaner looks at her and goes, guess your gun jammed, huh? <laughs> and then walks away. And Angelo just goes, Davy, which is the little boy, Davy free. Yeah. And she goes, yeah, but Miss Parker's still in hell. <laughs> and that, like, that's yeah. where that season ends. Like, the, he gets away with the boy, gets him safe. Yeah. And that kind of stuff. And and Angelo begins reverting to his basically nonverbal almost state. Yeah. And it's, it, like, it's, oh, it's a beautifully tragic, like, upsetting moment. Um. See, the other upsetting thing about the show is that other than first two seasons, you cannot get it to stream anywhere. Yeah. You can buy the first two seasons for 10 bucks each on Amazon Prime. The other two seasons are not available. The movies I can't find. Like, and to get them on Amazon is like 60 bucks. So I am making do with YouTube clips for this particular episode uh-huh. because I had to. <laughs> but so season three um, is there are some really significant things in season three that happen. The first one that I want to talk about is Miss Parker Falls in Love. Yeah. The guy's name is Tommy, and he is a construction worker who has absolutely nothing to do with the center. And oh, I'm leaving out a why lot. Why do I feel like this is going to be tragic? It is. But I'm leaving out a lot of stuff that happens in the center because that is the mystery of the show. And, like, if you have the opportunity to watch the show, a lot of the episodes are on YouTube. And, like, if you like a show that, that gives you some mystery and and twists, I, I love it. And, and it I find it fascinating, and I just really enjoy it. But... I don't want to spoil it, but at the same time, it's also so complicated. It's hard to talk about mm-hmm. how, how yeah, deep it, and complex and twisty it gets. I didn't it watch. Ne- yeah. I yeah. didn't watch the show a ton, but it was definitely very involved toward the end. It is so complex. You can't have missed an episode or you don't yeah. really know what's going on. I mean, they try and there, there's a lot of really cool characters that I'm not talking about at all. And, and really cool pretends that happen. And he and Miss Parker have lots of back and forth. Like at one point he gives her the common cold just to screw with her. Like there <laughs> things like that. And they, they have That's just evil. <laughs> he needs to, he needs like a week free. So he gives her like a week long flu that yeah. he knows won't kill her, but it gets her out of the way. It's just evil. And like, there's stuff like that. Like they have episodes where where he is doing stuff just off camera and she doesn't know it and, and you know, things yeah. like that. And it, it, like, it's a fascinating thing. I just can't give you every single moment they talk on the phone because I'd have to talk through 86 episodes basically. Yeah. And, and like I said, some episodes he doesn't and some episodes they have nothing to do with each other. They're, they're wholly separate storylines, but there's always this thing where he gives her a piece of information that she needs when she needs it. Yeah. Like, and he, oh, I'll get there, but yeah. So season three, there are two two or three really significant things, like I said. First is that Miss Parker falls in love with Tommy. She meets him at a gas station, and, like, she snarks at him, and he snarks back. Because Parker's, like, the queen of snark, too. Yes. And, yeah, there's, there's this whole thing between them, and she winds up, like, like falling for him. Like, and he falls yeah. for her, and she keeps hidden what she does. She puts her gun, she hides her gun when she comes in the house, and... All that kind of stuff. He's, he's a bit of normal for her. He's normal. He is yeah. He is this safe place. He And he's trying to get her to quit the center because she has, like, ulcers. Like, well, yeah. the place gives her ulcers. And Jared's well aware of that. Jared, like, uh-huh. sometimes make That's actually one time he makes them worse. Just, like, it, it makes her sick. He does something that makes it sick to her stomach. makes her think he's done something to her. Right. Really, he just aggravated her ulcers. Oh, God. <laughs> like, he's such a jerk. <laughs> but at the same time, he's got to do what he's got to do yeah. to stay ahead of her. 
but Tommy is wonderful and he is kind and completely in love with her and tries to get her to quit the center. The center murders him. Of course they do. But they make it look like a random act of violence. Of course they do. She finds him on a front porch shot in the head. Like he is laying on the ground bleeding and he, he's dead already when she finds him. And she, and they captured, of course, they immediately, the police immediately catch the guy who did it. And he's a drug addict and da 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 So she tailspins hard. Mm-hmm. She is drinking, she's in a bar, and she is wasted. Mm-hmm. And she asks for another round. You hear a voice say, can I get you anything else? And she's like, another round, please. And it's Jared. Yeah. And he goes, I was thinking more like a cup of coffee in a cab. And she starts laughing, and she's like, the moment I stop looking for you, and she's teary, yeah. the moment I stop looking for you, you show up in my lap. And he says, "We're maybe we're just pieces of the same puzzle. Mm-hmm. And, oh man, it's just a really great scene, because he's only purely there to comfort her about Tommy, yeah. and to tell her he was murdered. Yeah. Look for the missing pieces, Miss Parker. And he sticks around that episode. He's, he's the one who, because like, she turns in some of what she finds evidentiarily or whatever yeah. to the police detective who's investigating Tommy's death. Cause the guy they captured died of an overdose in of his cell. Of course he did. Jared, Jared tells her that that's why he's there. And Jared, you know, the cop winds up dying in a car accident and Parker's Naturally. so upset about it. She's at the, she's at the place where the car got, where the car is. And Jared walks around the corner and he goes, this isn't your fault because she blamed herself that he was out late at night and got into a car accident. And Jared goes, no, this isn't your fault. The brake line was cut. Yeah. And she gets this look. She goes, he had children and a wife. And and they did this. And she blames herself because she's like, I helped him investigate. Yeah. And so it's my fault. This family isn't. So she backs off. Mm-hmm. And she tells Jared, it's a chillingly beautiful scene. Cause she tells Jared, <laughs> she's cause Jared calls her and little does he know, does she know he's actually watching her in the cemetery because it's what you do. Cut. Yeah. You can't be face-to-face. I know, so I know. It seems creepy, but he's got to do what he's got to do. He wants to be there for her, but he has to maintain this distance. And he calls her, and he asks her what she's going to do. And she's like, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let them think I forgot, that I believed their story, and that I forgot Tommy. Yeah. And that I moved on. And when they least expect it, I'll make them pay. <laughs> and, like, it is this deadly, like, oh yeah, ice pick of a voice. I- I, yeah, I know of Andrea Parker. I can hear it in my right? head. <laughs> right? And, uh, yeah. That, oh, it's just so good. And she doesn't get her vengeance till season four. So I'll, yeah. I'll come back around to that. But the other thing in this season that is significant to Jared is Project Gemini. Project Gemini is a Jared clone played by Ryan Merriman. Yes. Oh, my God. I don't know how I remember that, but I do. He has Jared has caught up with his father, Major Charles, and they are working together to rescue this this clone in the, yeah. from the center because he's still a child. He deserves yeah. to be free. And there's a point. I don't remember how. Like I said, I couldn't rewatch the episode. I really wanted to. But there's a point where Miss Parker meets this boy. Mm-hmm. And this is her childhood staring her in the face. Yeah. And she looks at him and she says, when I was your age... I knew a boy. I knew a boy just like you, exactly like <laughs> you. I felt for him, but I never let him know. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> it's just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, she, I mean, genuinely, Jared was her best friend as a child, right? And eventually, Jared's father is able to escape with Gemini, which is what they call the boy. Yeah, and Jared 
allow kind of yeah, he plays the part of a distraction. He almost escapes anyway, uh-huh. but he distracts so that they can take off in the plane because he sees he's not going to be able to make it. So he jumps on a motorcycle and they capture him. And Miss Parker, meanwhile, has taken a bullet in the back for her father. Oh man, she jumped in front of her father to prevent a, an assassination. Because Daddy is her favorite person, like yeah. like Mr. Parker, she calls him Daddy. That is, he is her her father, and she loves him. He is her biggest blind spot, right, in the whole series. And the question is always, does he actually love her? Does he deserve her love? Uh, we never know Miss Parker's first name, but Mr. Parker always calls her Angel. Mm-hmm. Even though that's, we don't think that's her first name. Jared knows her first name, interestingly enough, because yeah. as children, she whispered it to him when he asked. <laughs> you. <laughs> shake my fist at the TV. But, because we still don't, like, even now, we yeah. don't know Miss Parker's first name. But, so Jared gets captured at the end of season four, and that's when we get Mr. Lyle coming in in the white suit, because uh, Miss Parker is out of commission. Miss Parker's in a coma for okay. the first episode or two. Yeah. Jared, of course, eventually flips the tables on Lyle and gets away, but he's been like, you see that he has been like, they hose, it, they hose him down. He's in like yeah. a cage in the middle of a room. In like a wire cage, and yeah. they like hose him down at one point. You see, uh, you see a battery with uh, with stuff attached to it. So <laughs> yeah. clearly, he's been yeah. Like you get the idea, he's been through a lot. Yeah, but like I said, eventually he escapes. But here is where in season. Um, trying to make sure I didn't miss anything else. Yeah, uh, here in this season, Jared reveals to Miss Parker, Tommy was a friend of his. Oh, he actually set them up. Oh, he wanted her. Is he, he not, he goes, I didn't force Tommy to be with you. I lit the torch. Yeah. That's all I did is I lit the torch. Everything else was Tommy. Oh man. And, and you would think she would be angry eh. or, or at least something. All she does is she, cause, cause he sends this beautiful tableau to her that he made. It's kind of a Barbie and Kendall at a gas station Yeah, with like the same kind of car she had. And he's in the flannel he was in when they met. And she is, pissed as hell yeah she's like she goes i don't care the games we play whatever the center games whatever tommy is not a part of that you will leave tommy out of it yeah like she is railing at him and that's when he says tommy always said it was your eyes that he fell in love with first mm-hmm. and and they start talking and all of a sudden she comes to the realization he knew tommy before she did yeah and he calls him thomas he never calls him tommy and He's like, Thomas was a good man. You know, I, he helped me. Basically, he helped with a pretend. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Jared was pretending to be a construction worker. And Thomas, because somebody was using shoddy materials and mm-hmm. somebody died, Thomas helped catch them. Yeah. And that's how they met. And then he kind of got Tommy to meet Miss Parker. And Tommy loved Miss Parker. And Jared, Jared was all for it. Which, yeah. yay, for healthy. But <laughs> right. She just breaks down after she puts it all together. And she goes, tell me about the Tommy you knew. Aww. And that's when he tells her how they met and everything. And that's also the episode where she gets her revenge. She, I don't know if she kills the woman who killed Tommy, but she finds out who did it for sure. Uh-huh. It's her stepmother, weirdly enough, who's her age. Yeah, well, welcome to old white men. Uh, her name is Brigitte. Uh, of course it is. And they, I mean, they, they, she beats that out of her. And... She, she gets her revenge, and she's at the graveyard at the end of the episode in front of Tommy's grave. And Jared says to her, she says to Jared that you know, she didn't, it didn't make her get over what happened. Yeah. Like, she thought it would help. And he goes, well, earlier you mentioned you never got to tell him it. What didn't you get to tell him? Maybe it'll help. 
and that he's finally gets her to admit she never told Tommy she was in love with him. Oh, so she says it there and finally admits it out loud for the first time mm-hmm. that she was in love with Tommy. And like that begins to heal her from that. Right. Right. Like I said, then they discover project Mirage, which is where they find out they share a sibling. And Ugh. I mean, I know there's nothing actually wrong with it. I it know, just feels weird. I know that, but just listening to a description of it, it sounds oh, yeah. wrong. I have double cousins and I feel the same way. I know. <laughs> I feel the same way. My grandma married a guy and then her sister married his brother. Nothing actually wrong with it. It just feels weird. Yes. Uh, but Parker figures it out first actually and captures Jared and basically like did and shows him this video of Jared as a young boy meeting her mom after she was supposedly dead. Yeah. And her telling Jared about Ethan and Jared. And this is where some of the hooey, hooey dooey like mystical comes in because Ethan hears a voice. Like it's an inner sense. Miss Parker has that same inner sense. It is Miss Parker. It is Mrs. Parker. Right. It's super weird. But eh, I let it go because the show ends. <laughs> <laughs> but she, like, Jared wakes up. She knocks Jared out. Jared wakes up tied to a chair, her and Sydney being the only people in the room. And he's like, why aren't I dead, basically? Because at this point, the center doesn't care if they get him back. Miss Parker doesn't care if the center gets him back alive. Yeah. In his mind. And he's like, why am I alive? And she's like, watch this and explain it to me. And he watches the video. He has no memory of oh. meeting Miss Parker, of meeting Mrs. Parker. Not like he watches videos. Uh, uh, Cause it, you find out earlier on the center can actually wipe. Yeah. I mean, of course they can. Cause it happens to Kyle. It happens to, like they try to do it to Jared at one point, like all that kind of like stuff. Every, every kind of, I know this isn't like sci-fi, but it kind it of is. is. It is. Yeah. Like it is. It's like every, everyone kind of has their own version of retcon. I mean, the show is loosely based on, I forgot the guy's name, but he had an eidetic, eidetic memory and could read a book and do what he had read. So it's loosely right. based on that idea. Yeah. Um, Jared obviously is much more talented than stuff. Like, yeah. he performed surgery in the first episode, and then, like, he's a race car driver. He's an EMT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, things like that that you wouldn't necessarily, like a scuba diver, like <laughs> those kind of things that you wouldn't necessarily actually be able to do. Uh, and season three and season four actually take a much darker tone, which was partially Michael right. T. Weiss wanting to do something darker. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so he's tied up in this chair, watches this video. And, or He's not even tied up at the time. Miss Parker walks over with a knife and is like, <laughs> reaches down and cuts the bonds. And because he, and, he thinks he's going back. He's like, well, crap. Yeah. And shows that video. And he's like, I've got to go save my, our brother. And she's like, okay, good. Like she wants to make sure that they're on the same page. Mm -hmm. And the season, the season ends with like the three of them on a train that's about to explode. That's where the series ends. (laughs) And then they'd have the first, the first movie is called Pretender 2001. They're not, I don't remember much about that movie. I got to be honest. And I couldn't find as much about it. I could have maybe watched it all on YouTube, but I didn't have like the time to do yeah. all of that. Cause, Cause I had a lot to do, but he like, essentially they save Ethan and mm-hmm. g- kind of go their own ways. I love, I love the haunted, which is the second movie is good title, right? Is the movie, the movie. It okay. is the movie where we start seeing movement <laughs> for the first. Re- I mean, there, like I said, there's always an affection there and there is clearly an attraction there. Yeah. And there are feelings that go deeper than either of them will, will or can ever acknowledge. Yeah. 
because uh, he is actually worried about his park at the beginning of season four when she hasn't come down to torment him. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. And he asks Lyle, and he goes, she's out of the way. Lyle's such a dick. Anyway, um, so Isle of the Haunted, she, I don't know if she chases him to an island or if she's following a, a clue trail, but they end up on this island. <laughs> Big storm's coming. And Naturally. There's only them and one other blind lady on the island named O.C. Naturally. <laughs> Uh, and O.C. says the island is haunted and evil. Of course it is. And I mean, like, there's a lot of like mythology stuff that happens in this movie. Right. You find out there are prophecies that are hidden on this island uh, about the center. You find out that Miss Parker's family founded the center. Mm-hmm. Mr. Parker may not actually be Miss Parker's father. Mr. Reigns is. Ah, Mr. Raines also has tried to kill her multiple times. She has tried to kill him multiple times. He's hit on her. Makes it all super creepy. But nobody knew that. Like, Mr. Parker thought he would. Like, Mr. Parker, I think, knew, but not everybody knew. Yeah. Um, But Mr. Parker loves her, so it doesn't matter to him. Yeah. And she and Jared are on this island together, and they get caught in a rainstorm. (laughs) (laughs) Yay for tropes. (laughs) And, like, he comes into the room, like, he's in just this white wife beater, and and dead pants and stuff, and she is changing into a into a robe yeah. and like hanging her clothes. But she's got like the the effort is that called? But like the the curtain, the clothing. Uh, oh, I can't remember what's called. It's driving me crazy. Like like you can fold it up, pull it out. The the it's I can't think what's called. <laughs> like like old times change behind it kind of thing. Um, oh, that like the <sighs> yeah that thing. It's like the, oh, it's like the Chinese screen or something. Yeah, like, like that? a screen. Yeah. Like, thank you, a changing screen kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, she's changing behind one of those, which means you can see her outline and stuff. But and and Jared kind of stops when he walks in the room, and then she, but she comes out and sits down next to him by in front of the big fire. He has brought her, mm-hmm. I think, tea, and they're sitting in front of the fire and they start having this conversation. Um, I'm having all caps. The most significant movement we've seen. <laughs> um. They're having this conversation, and Jared says something to the effect of the center doesn't want them to find any kind of connection outside of the center's control. The center wants to be the only thing, wants to be what controls how they move and, and what, what they do. Yeah. And she and how she has been a prisoner of the center all, all this time, too. Mm-hmm. And that makes the two of them alike. And she turns to him, and this is such a good line, why is it the one person that I've been trained to distrust, to hate, to capture is always with me during the most difficult moments of my life. Yeah. And he says, he says, maybe it was supposed to be that way. And they lean in and they lean in and like noses are touching and OC comes in and almost, and, and, uh, and, and he's like, he's got to talk to me. I'm like, please. I'm like, I need it. Like, yeah. And OC comes in and they both pull away and like Jared is almost blushing and they, they kind she's of She's blind? Have, what does she care? Well, she comes in talking to them. She's like, sorry to interrupt, but does anyone need any more tea? And, and you know, a million Miss Parker fans and Jared, Jared Miss Parker fans are like, get out! <laughs> but uh, immediately Parker jumps up and is like, let me help you with that and like takes the tea from her and, and stuff. And that, like, that, that is physically the closest they are in this thing. Into the movie, Jared gets captured. Of course he does. I mean, that's kind of the, it had to happen. Right. But they are getting ready to get on a plane to go back to the center with the prophecies, which they have uh-huh. caught on this island, and Jared and Miss Parker. And Jared and Miss Parker have been left in the back of this car while they're making sure the plane's ready and that kind of stuff. Like, it's just mm-hmm. the two of them in the back of this car. And 
they're waiting for the plane and Jared begins talking to Miss Parker. And like the beginning of it, he he's like, you know, since we were kids, from, from when we were kids to the island, we have been through a lot together. And I know that our allegiances are rarely the same, but I've always felt, I've always known that there was something more to our lives than I run you chase. Mm-hmm. And she responds, well, maybe we do what we have to just to get by in this life, Jared. Jared says, maybe we deserve something more. And Ms. Parker says, forget what happened on the island. It was a moment of weakness. Forget about it. And he, he gives her the speech about turning points before that. And, yeah. And so it leads into that whole like the thing. And, and she's like, the thing about a turning point is you have to have something to turn to. Mm, and that's a good line. He reaches over like his cuffed hands and grabs her hand. Uh huh. And she for a second sits there and then she pulls away. Of course. She and gets out of the car. Of course she does. And give it to your feelings. Then we get on the plane. Like she calls Sydney and Brutes and and they're like, are you okay? We've been trying to get in touch with you for days. Are you (laughs) all right? And she's like, I'm fine. I'm in hell, but I'm fine. And they get on the plane uh, with it's Mr. Rains, Mr. Lyle, Mr. Parker, Jared. And, uh, and that's it. Yeah. Mr. Miss Parker, Mr. Parker, Mr. Rains, Mr. Lyle and Jared. Yeah. Okay. And they get on the plane and there's also like a flight crew and stuff. Of course. Yeah. Uh, that they get up to the, honestly, this is Mr. Rains and Mr. Lyle all over what I'm about to say. They don't like the people who are in charge of this plane. I think they work for the triumvirate, which is the people who are supposed to be over the center. Yeah. They're kind of like the, uh, the world security council. Right. And this is the moment when Alexander Pierce shows his colors. Uh, so like they they get the pilots get the plane cruising altitude. It, it's just going to glide down. Like they yeah. know right where they're going. So Mr. Lyle, or not not Mr. Lyle, Mr. Rains kills the pilots because he can't have anyone knowing that they have the prophecies. So he kills the pilots. Meanwhile, in the cargo hold of the plane, Mr. Parker has opened the prophecies and read them. Mr. Parker then proceeds to put on a parachute pull the cord on the other two parachutes that are there and Ugh. he's getting ready to jump off the plane. And Miss Parker comes back to check on him because he's not been up there. And she's like, daddy, what's, what's going on? And he's like, I've read the prophecies angel. I know what's coming and I'm going to do what your mother wanted. I'm going to make sure these things go to the bottom of the ocean where they belong. Cause no one should have, no one should know the things I now know basically. And, <sighs> the beach. and he, uh, he tells her, you know, basically goodbye. And she's like, are you my father? I need to know. And he's like, I've always loved you like my daughter. And that's enough. And (laughs) then he looks at her and he says, the new Parker legacy begins with you. God be with you. Angel opens the door and jumps, which makes the plane begin to lose altitude. The electronics short out. That's one way to avoid a conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But the electronics short out. And all that's on the plane that's left alive is Mr. Parker, Mr. Lyle, Mr. Raines, Miss Parker, and Jared. So Jared goes, maybe you should uncuff the only person who can actually land this damn thing. Yeah. And Parker just yells, do it. And so they, they that's how he escapes. <laughs> right. <laughs> he kind of crash lands the plane and he gets to escape. And then final end of the movie, end of the series, end of everything. End of everything. Yeah. Uh, he, it's once again, they're on the phone. And he calls Miss Parker to tell her how sorry he is about her father Uh because they still haven't found him. Yeah. And so he's basically offering condolences and trying to be there for her. And she tells him, I hope you find your mother because that's what drew him to the island was a secret about his mother, which is where they found the picture of their mothers together Uh uh, while pregnant. 
And so Jared, so she says, I hope you find your mother. And Jared just quietly goes, what about us? And she said, and Parker responds, you run, I chase. That choice is made for us a long time ago. And Jared says, maybe that's the Parker curse. And she says, yeah. And then wipes a tear from her eye. Uh-huh. And then very tearily says, hell of a life we have, Jared. And he says, only this time, the first one to find the answers lives. And she goes, Jared, if the prophecies were real, and both her hands are now like cradling uh-huh. the phone, like this is, she yeah. wants this connection. If the prophecies were real, maybe we could have found out what our future would hold. And Jared's like, if they were real. And he hangs up the phone and the camera kind of cuts between the two of them, both crying. Uh-huh. And you see like the a shot of the prophecies, which says that Jared's the chosen one. Uh-huh. And then it comes back to Jared crying and they're both like cleaning their phones. Movie ends. God damn it. And that's it. Like, that's all I got about that. But I actually wrote a fic that it's, it's I need to put it up. I don't think I have it up right now, <laughs> but I have a fic where he like comes to her and he's like, Screw the prophecies. We're getting you out of the center and we're going to just disappear. Right. And I love it. And it, that's all that you want at the end of that is, yeah. is them to just run off together. But there's, there's something about the bittersweet nature of their relationship. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a sucker for that. I, I mean, the fact that it doesn't have a conclusion upsets me greatly. And someday I hope that they'll release what the secrets were. And because that was the plan with the book series yeah. and apparently it just didn't take off. I don't oh, know what man. happened. Uh, I want to read the books really badly. Uh, there's only but there's only two, so I kind of don't because I've already been like suckered in before. Because uh, I remember when the movies came out in 2001. Yeah, one came out in, like early 2001. One came out in late 2001. Uh huh. I was like in. Like I was so excited yeah. to find out what was going on because at that point it was on reruns on TNT too. Yeah, that's that's where I watched bits and pieces of and, it. Like I while I was getting ready for school in the morning, like yeah. watch an episode. I like I said I didn't cover everything that happens with them, but like. They have some amazing phone conversations that just tear your heart out. Yeah. And I, I cannot convey the level of grief you see on her face when she talks about Tommy. Mm-hmm. And, and like, oh, it like, there, there's some good, so much good acting. Oh, yeah, man. Like, Michael T. Weiss and Andrew Parker just do such a great job. Like, somebody asked Andrew Parker once what it was like to work with Michael, like, before they did the second movie. And she was like, well, I mean, I don't get to work with him very often. Yeah. Because we're usually not on set when we do the, the shots together or we do the, the phone, phone calls. calls. We, and they've only had like eight scenes together in like yeah. the, the 86 episodes, but or not eight scenes, but eight episodes yeah. where they're together. Yeah. And she's like, so, you know, I, I, I like Michael. Like he seems really great, but right. I don't really right. have that experience. But you wouldn't know that from the way they are together yeah. on the show and the way that it is edited together. The phone call, Calls mm-hmm. are so good. Yeah. And like, there is just a palpable and like Jared has girlfriends and stuff throughout the show. He has, has like, yeah. like two or three girls that he has feelings for. One Naturally. is great. Cause it winds up being a complete twist and it's fantastic. Like a quick femme fatale twist. It's beautiful. This she tries to twist. No, she tries to get Jared to murder her husband, like right. convinces Jared. She's been abused. It's, it's great. But anyway, yeah. but yeah, he's, so he's got romances too that happen and, and neither of them are ever, like hateful about the other person's romance because why would they be? They can't yeah. be together. That that decision was made for them a right. long time ago. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. they are completely star-crossed and they can never really be together. But I choose to believe that in the last movie that would have been changed. Like that, like yeah, because that's what, the whole point. Is he says what, you're what, the new legacy when yeah. he jumps off the plane. So I'm like, yeah, the new legacy is run away and be with Jared. Like. <laughs> Screw this chosen one nonsense. Ask Harry Potter how it works out. Like, you don't do it. 
<laughs> you just run. Right. But anyway, so that is Jared Miss Parker. And like I said, I cannot convey the bittersweetness of their relationship. Yeah. And it is not all romance. Like, that's the other thing. A lot of it is friendship. And there is always this undercurrent of, I, I love you, but not always in a romantic way. Yeah. Um, but like I said, they definitely do love each other in a romantic way because Jared right. wants her to run away with them. It can be both. Yeah, and it is. And that's I think that's I just love it so much. I, I hate that there's not a proper ending, but I love it so much. Yeah, I like <laughs> it, it's one of those shows like I like I always meant to watch it mm-hmm. like when it was on and like, you know, then when it was on like reruns on D&T. Yeah, because you know, there are plenty of shows that are like this, but you know, just there are like some shows that if you don't catch it from the very beginning, you're not going to be able to know what the hell's going on. Yeah. And, and it was definitely like one of those, like I came in and like episode, like, you know, five or something like that. It was like, um, what huh? the first season you could get away with and a yeah. lot of the second season, but by third and fourth, if you hadn't, if you yeah. weren't aware you would, they still tried to make it, but it, cause that's the other thing that was a problem because this is the time period where they were shifting from episodic format to serial format. Yeah. And like, cause there's a lot of shows that come out around that time that are beginning that shift. Yeah. And, and making it, making it something dramatic and good there's a lot of stuff around that time that's really beginning to toy with that. And I like, I feel like if this had come out like three years later, yeah, it would have gotten a conclusion. I, yeah, I, I think so. Too. And so, and, and it was also at like just that cusp of the internet where if it had gone on like another two or three years, it would have probably gotten like some huge stuff. In, yeah, in the internet. yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it, it just breaks my heart that it, it is just at the wrong like point where people don't remember it. Like I made Josh watch, I think all of it. I don't think we maybe watched the last he, movie. He's nodding. <laughs> he enjoyed it. Like, he could say what he wanted, but he enjoyed it at the time. I enjoyed it. He enjoyed yeah. it. Uh, but, yeah, like, like we dated. This was like, I ha- you have to watch the show. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, we got it through, ne- I got it through Netflix. Uh, rentals, Netflix DVD. Netflix DVDs being sent to me. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Can, can you sign back up for Netflix DVD right? and then rip the DVDs? Right. <laughs> But like, and I, I own the first season, and I could like I get the second one pretty easily. But the third and fourth one are really hard to find. I think the fourth one's like more than forty dollars. Yeah, and the third one was like seventy used. Jeez, and man. I was like, I can't do that right now. Yeah, but but yeah, just like if you get the chance to see it on YouTube or whatever, give it just give it a shot. Because and yeah, like you, you may it may not be for you, but if you like something mysterious and and like the romance is not super like imp- it's important, but it is not like the most important thing. Yeah. In the show, by any stretch of the imagination, there is so much more to it, and and Miss Parker is just such a fascinating character, and Jared's fascinating, and Sydney, and Sydney's guilt about whatever yeah. that happened with what he did, and like James Denton, and then he went by Jamie, yeah. One once again, one of the most phenomenal, terrifying villains, because <laughs> like Mister Rain's his little mustache twirly for me, but freaking Lyle, man, you never know what evilness he will sink to next yeah those are my favorite villains and like oh man that white suit i think that is like because that that's like <laughs> i always think of like smallville's lex Luthor and like lex Luthor <laughs> in general in that white suit that is just the epitome of evil <laughs> and then like see you're talking about evil in a white suit and i'm automatically thinking of supernatural of, of yeah of, that of, works too of sam like lucifer inhabiting sam and like he's in a white, a white suit. suit yeah yeah like there's something I don't know what it is that makes white suits <laughs> synonymous with the bad guys, but like 
Man, the episodes were It's a subversion of evil. Yeah, Yeah. and and he only does it for a couple episodes before he goes back to his actual suits and stuff. But yeah, it's just... Oh, he's just a delicious villain. Yeah. And you don't know his... And there's a lot of secrets about him, and I just... Oh, I'm a sucker for secrets. Yeah, and you you have definitely, like, made me want to, like, track down this show at all costs. If you can, you should try. <laughs> I, like, I, like I said, the first two it's seasons... It's my new quest. The first seasons are, like, ten bucks on Amazon, so it's not too bad. Yeah. But the others are really hard to find. Maybe eventually they won't be. Challenge accepted! And, like, if you... You know, if if you have people listening and you actually care, tweet at the the Craig, I think Van Sickle or Sickle, and and the other guy who I can't remember right now. It just left my head. But tweet at them, and be like, hey, 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 what happened? <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> Give us a third book. Do something. Yeah. Because like they they were desperate to make the third movie. Yeah. And it's now been really too long. Yeah. Um, because I mean, I love Andrew Parker, and that that woman is, still looks amazing. Yeah. But it's been too long to really go back and because like one of the things they say in the 2001 movie is like he asks her do you want your children to have this legacy and yeah. and, and it's kind of too late for really uh, to go into like a parent parental relationship now yeah it would and that be... kind of stuff like it's been it's been 18 years yeah like you... they could have a fully grown child i i think at this point like we have a better chance of just getting it rebooted <laughs> I would be cool with that too. Um, I just don't know who else could play Miss Parker besides Andrea Parker because literally she was born for the role. But, but like, and like I said, I have actually written a fic about this show, and like, it is just one of those shows that has stuck with me for a really long yeah. time. Uh, in in terms of the storytelling and, and the romance, the romance aspect was very secondary to me. Like it was yeah. like, of course they love each other. Why that that has nothing to do with what's going on at this moment. Yeah, but yeah, it's because it, I know that some people who listen to our show don't necessarily love that angle. Yeah, so I'm like, let's just give it a shot, man. Like I could stand this show all day because <laughs> it's my favorite. Like yeah, like it, it it sucks it doesn't get a proper ending, but I think it gets a good enough one that you're okay. Yeah. Anyway. I'm very curious to see what song you have for these two. Well, I originally had a different song and changed it. Um, and I had like four, like four or five oh like my rotating God, trying to figure it out. That has been my struggle with this one for me. Like I have had an entire playlist of songs and none of them were quite right. See, my problem is how do you talk about like a star-crossed love that isn't, isn't star-crossed because like they're with different people <laughs> or anything like that. It's star-crossed because literally they're like, it's a, it's almost Romeo and Juliet only if Juliet was like trying to hunt Romeo down. <laughs> like, <laughs> cause like there was, there was a song called, uh, if I had a gun, I would shoot a hole through the sun for you. Right. Or like that. And that was really good. Um, but then I saw a vid to it, to this next song, the uh, song I picked. Uh huh. Cause I originally, I think I picked my love, my enemy by Dave Barnes originally. Oh yeah. And it's just not quite right. Like there's a little too much softness and sweetness. Yeah. 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 So I ended up going with a song by Muse. Okay. Undisclosed desires. Nice. Because uh, the lyrics go, I know you've suffered, but I know, but I don't want you to hide. It's cold and loveless. I won't let you be denied. Soothing. I'll make you feel pure. Trust me. You can be sure. I want to reconcile the violence in your heart. I want to recognize your beauty is not just a mask. I want to exercise the demons from your past. I want to satisfy the undisclosed desires of your heart. Nice. Because I read that and went, like, I listened to the, I watched the video, which is really good on YouTube, and then I I went and read the lyrics and went, 
finally! <laughs> like, I have found the thing that I'm trying to say, which is that it's not, I love you, I love you, I love you. It's, yeah. I want better for you. I right. want your desires and, and I want to ex- exercise the demons from your past. Yeah, like, man. And, and the, the oh, man, the, the, the violence in your heart. Oh, I'm like, huh, I just, I it was listened, so, I haven't listened to music in so long. Now I'm like, I've, I've got to. It just hit me in the chest with how perfect yeah, it was. That's pretty brilliant. Yeah. Um, with mine, like I said, I, and I have been I have been pestering our friend Anne all week because <laughs> she she's seen the movie. And so I'm like, okay, so I'm trying to find a song that works for both the movie and the book, but they're kind of different. And so I like I had just been struggling for a long time of like I I was just like I had an entire playlist of just like generic sort of like like OTP songs you know just like generic mm-hmm. love songs and I'm like like any of these they'd be fine but and after a while and I also like fixated on the idea because it's just the thing that I do <laughs> of uh like wanting to to find a song that matches like the theme. And so because this, because you know, this is an epistolary novel and you know, in the movie and their, their whole relationship begins because of uh, written letters. Like my first thought was like, okay, P.S. I love you by the Beatles, but I'm like, eh, it's a little too, yeah, it's a little too simplistic. And and so I went on an internet search looking for anything that like any song that was like, like, be like in the form of like a letter or like, you know, dear so-and-so, you know, whatever. I, I did that with telephones for a while, right. like trying to find yeah, man. something. And, yeah. and I found a song called uh, dear Jamie, sincerely me by hello. Goodbye. And that was going to be my pick for a long time, just based on like, just having read the book. And then I rewatched the movie and went, Oh God, no, no, it doesn't work because it's a little too like, punk alternative like <laughs> that show doesn't really yeah, that, movie yeah that that's definitely not the feel that i was going for and i got on a kick with um uh an artist that i love named jason reeves and i literally like went through his entire discography and i'm like okay these six songs one of them should work <laughs> it just like again they were all just like uh just very generic nothing quite fit and so um i was I was determined. I woke up yesterday morning and, and I was still going through like these six songs of, of Jason Reeves. And I'm like, okay, I'm just, I need to like step back for a second. I'm instead of like trying to like turn the puzzle piece and like make it fit. I'm just, I'm going to take a step back. We're not recording until tomorrow. So I'm going to give myself until the end of the workday. I'm going to listen to my playlists and I'm really going to focus on the lyrics and something like, you know, I'm really going to pay attention. If I haven't found one, then I'm going to break glass in case of emergency. Use the Joshua Payne song I keep in my back pocket for all situations. (laughs) And so... I, I hit, like, I'm, I'm walking out of my apartment, like, I'm heading to my car to go to work, and I hit shuffle on my, I hit shuffle on my, uh, my playlist, and the first song that comes up is Far Longer Than Forever from The Swan Princess, and, like, immediately I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> so, so then I just, I just immediately skip to the next song, and it's one that I've listened to it for a few years, and I've... 
and it's just one of the, like, I just sort of, like, in the back of my head kind of songs. Like, I, I downloaded it because, like, I liked the title and, like, the music was kind of just nice and kind of gentle. And it was just, but I just never paid, like, a whole lot of attention to it. But this time, because I was bound and determined, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pay attention to this. And it ended up being, like, oh, I think I found it. <laughs> and and it's by an artist that I guarantee nobody's ever heard of. The man has put out one EP and, like, one full record. Um, and his uh, the artist's name is Jake Owsley. O-U-S-L-E-Y. I, was, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. I don't know. And the song is called These Three Words. And and it's, it definitely fits more the book than, than it does, than it does the movie. But it has such a gentle, like softness to it but like enough of like a swelling kind of music like it feel like it feels right for like movie couple too and it's um say what you're dying to say you know even the stars fade when you say my name don't wait this time don't be late like every night sky we might never be the same give me something to hold on to more than just a feeling that it's true I can't wait. I can't wait for you to say. I can't wait. Baby, if you're sure, say these three words. Come close. Put your hand in mine. Every second without you is wasted time. Your eyes, shades of green and white. Along the space we walk, there's a thin red line. Give me something to hold on to. I cannot go on keeping me from you. I can't wait. I can't wait for you to say. I can't wait. If you're sure, say these three words. I've been holding on for so long, but looking at you right now, this can never be wrong. I know it's hard for you to say. Wait, just wait, wait for me to say. I can't wait. Baby, if you're sure, say these three words. Good. <laughs> like I said, all, all of like my, my trial and error, and then just all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, thank, I've, oh my, thank goodness I found it. <laughs> it was like... It was like I was like Pinocchio, and like somebody cut my strings, and I just collapsed. Like, oh, thank God! <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's so. That one's mine. That we've got Juliet and Dossie. We've got Jared and Miss Barker. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything else to add, Dolly? No, I think that's all for me. Uh, that's gonna get it for me too. So, uh, thank you for listening to this OTP episode of Couch Buddies. Uh, again, thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Couch Buddies, why not leave us a rating and review over on iTunes? And while you're at it, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us by searching on social media. We're Couch Buddies Pod on Twitter, on Tumblr at couchbuddies.tumblr.com, and you can email us at couchbuddiespod at gmail.com.